0: You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit
1: door. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 399. Yeah, up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 6th of November, 2019. Today's episode, of Southwest Airlines flight attendant accuses two pilots of putting a hidden camera in an airplane laboratory, and a Dutch Air Force runway is phoned by mistake. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, God help all of us. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 399 is ready for pushback.
2: Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, kind of like an aviation talk show that we do each week. We talk about aviation news between the shows and we answer your feedback. And, of course, we feature the old pilots' plane tales as well. And here to help me with all that is from her lakeside home in the Carolinas, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and multi- commercial multi-engine instrument-rated pilot, Dr. Stuff.
3: I feel like we need to pare back some of those things. It's just too much. It's a lot of stuff. I I mean, and that's just uh, the
2: tip of the iceberg.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Maybe we could change it, put some new things in, spice it up a little. Sure.
2: You're more than welcome to. All
3: right.
2: (laughs) So, that's Stuff.
3: Good to see you all. Glad to be here for episode 399.
2: 399. 399. And also here for 399 is from his studio in the English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, former captain for an international
0: airline based in London. It is Captain Nick. Hello there, Jeff. Hi there, Steph. Has it been another week already? Good Lord, time flies when you're retired. Ah, rub it in. All right. Well, good to
2: see the both of you. And... Dana is not going to be able to join us at all. He's actually out there earning a living flying airplanes. And so uh, we're going to miss him, but um, I hope that he'll be able to join us on the next show. We'll see. And I forgot to mention at the beginning there, I am a captain for a major legacy air carrier based in Atlanta, Georgia. And I like to call the airline Acme Airlines. So how has everybody been doing?
3: good you want us to launch into detail right off the bat
2: nope I just wanted to kind of do a quick
3: in that how y'all are thumbs up
2: thumbs up thumbs up okay well let's move right on into this week's news
4: stand by for news
2: All right, we'll start off with uh, the first item in our news folder, which is item A. Pilots on a Southwest Airlines jet secretly watched live video from a camera, or did they, in the aircraft lavatory, according to a cabin flight attendant who is suing the American company. This is from probably not an American company. Oh, yes, it's from thetimes.co.uk. Renee Steinecker, who is based in Arizona, claims she saw images from the lavatory on captain terry graham's ipad when she entered the cockpit on a flight between pittsburgh and phoenix in 2017. he had gone to relieve himself a physiological break we'd like to call it and she was there to join the co-pilot ryan russell to comply with security rules that require two crew members in the cockpit at all times according to Ms. Steiner's suit. She saw video of the captain in the lavatory, on the iPad, which was attached to uh, his side window. So his electronic flight bag was displaying video, apparently or supposedly, from a camera that was secretly uh, placed in the lavatory. Uh, the co-pilot had a quote panicked look on his face, and said there was a camera in the lavatory because of a quote new top-secret security measure installed in all of Southwest's Boeing 737-800 planes. That's what her lawsuit claims. They led her to believe that she and others had been filmed while they were using the lavatory, according to her lawyer. The pilots and the airline have denied the allegations. We can confirm from our investigation that there was never a camera in the lavatory. The, the incident was an, an inappropriate attempt at humor, which the company did not condone, according to uh, an official Southwest statement. And no date has yet been set for a hearing. So it looks like it was a little effort of uh, a, a gag, a joke, a prank gone bad.
3: Yeah, not a very good prank to begin with. They weren't yeah. weren't thinking that. I hang on
0: a minute. I used to
2: play I
3: that
5: prank it was all the pretty time.
0: Clever. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty clever. I it was we, pretty clever uh, we had three camera- cameras uh, uh, that, uh, and we regularly only used the one that monitored the door. But we could look on uh, uh, another two cameras that were positioned overhead, the corners of the galley to make sure there was no one hiding in the, in any of the corners that we couldn't see with the first camera. Uh, and uh, when you flashed out up, it was very hard to orientate yourself exactly what the picture was because you're just looking straight down on people, and we used to kid the uh, cabin crew that actually they were in the toilets, and we used to flash it up just for a second or so, but it's not polite to look, so we turned it straight off again. Uh, but uh, we got a lot of quizzical looks from the cabin crew sometimes going, well, really? <laughs> you're allowed <laughs> to look at <in> the toilets? <laughs> well... You know what, you're just lucky nobody sued yeah, you're, you.
3: You're lucky you're, uh, yeah, exactly. Knew yeah, well, you're, for
0: uh, not looking in the toilets? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sue you for not looking in the toilets. So I,
2: I wonder why, you know, when, when she found out that the whole thing was a gag or prank or whatever, and there really wasn't a, a, a photo, or I mean, a, a camera in the lavatory, I wonder why she continued to decide to go ahead and pursue a lawsuit.
0: I don't think she believes
6: them.
3: Yeah, I don't think she believes it's a, a prank or a gag. Oh. or a preg, as I tried to say.
2: A
6: prag. Yeah, that's a good one.
3: <laughs> New word. New word. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, I thought that was yeah, kind I think, of. An... I
3: think she's still taking it seriously.
0: She saw something uh, on uh, the iPad that was on on the uh, EFB or whatever it was that's attached to the mm-hmm. screen, which made her, led her to believe there was a camera there. Mm-hmm. But um, no. Nah just seems like a, a nicely, um, you know, fr- frivolous story uh, that probably has very little founding in fact.
5: Yeah.
3: Our producer says it's for emotional damages, the lawsuit.
0: Ah, there you go. Pranking people can cause damages. Okay. Well, I
2: better not say anything else lest I get in trouble. So, um, apparently the uh, co-pilot was a pretty good actor. <laughs> He looked like he was concerned that, you know, it was was probably like, let's do this. This is a great idea. You know,
3: Yeah. I I will say this, though. Yeah. In a professional setting, I tend not to joke around at all, hardly. Um, And the reason being is because of stuff like this. You really never know how your audience, who could be someone you really don't know very well, is going to take something that you mean lighthearted and uh, with a sense of humor. Um, You don't know if they're going to take it the wrong way. So... If you're in a professional environment, um, especially either if you're working with people you don't um, know very well, with colleagues who kind of change locations, you know, in your case is flight attendants, co-pilots, things like that, who you may not work with on a regular basis, um, or with, you know, members of the public who you don't know from Adam, um, might not be a great idea to joke around too much.
0: I do know Adam.
3: Okay, well, then you're okay.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's safe to say that is a golden rule. Uh yeah. which should not be broken. But some yeah. pilots like me have very poor sense of humor. We think we're great. We think we're very funny, <laughs> but we're not.
2: Yeah. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> I promise you. I think you you're I funny. Do. That's what I mean. I think you're funny. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, let's move on then, shall we? Item uh, mm-hmm. B. Um let's see. <laughs> An F-35A, based in the Netherlands, got a foam bath instead of a water bath. You know how they do the shooting the water cannons and the yeah. airplane goes through it? Mm-hmm. Uh, base fighter fighters were supposed to give the plane a water salute to mark the arrival of the first joint strike fighter to be based in the country. Uh, crash trucks at the Royal Netherlands Air Force's Luwarden Air Base? We're supposed to provide a water cannon salute to mark the arrival of the country's first operational F-35A joint strike fighter to be based in the country, but covered it in firefighting foam by accident instead. The base fighter, fires, f- fighter fires? firefighters had reportedly responded to an actual emergency involving an F-16 Viper fighter jet earlier and forgot to switch back to shooting regular water for the ceremony. The oops- Uh, The F-35A arrived at the base at around 3.30 p.m. local time and landed after flying a lap around the base, according to an official press release. The jet had flown from the final assembly and checkout, VACO, never heard of that before, uh, facility in Italy, where Leonardo had assembled it under license from the primary manufacturer, Lockheed Martin. That was something I didn't realize that that Da Vinci? I think so. Mm-hmm. It was just one guy. He's very smart, yeah. very... Uh, very old. And very, and very, very old, old uh,
0: yes. But he makes <laughs> but nice, uh, paintings. Those nice paintings. He makes very yeah. nice He's very artistic,
3: I hear. <laughs> yeah. You know.
0: Okay.
2: Um, the Dutch Air Force already has eight other joint strike fighters, but they are all in the United States where they support test and pilot training activities. Those aircraft have made multiple visits to the Netherlands since 2016, but are not permanently based in the country. The country is buying 46 of the jets in total, including nine more it agreed to purchase just this month. Amusingly, despite including pictures clearly showing the mix-up, the official release makes no mention of the mix-up. Yeah, we don't want to embarrass ourselves, do we? The foam is seen dripping from the plane as the pilot, Ian Knight, the commander of the 323 Test and Evaluation Squadron, exits the aircraft to greet a crowd including various government dignitaries. Uh, the Air Base Fire Department was on standby for the water salute when they were called to an actual emergency. Uh, we already know this. Another way to state it in, a, in different words and a different order, but we're not going to read that paragraph. <laughs> just to confuse. Um, just in case you didn't <laughs> understand that first per- paragraph where they gave the exact same information. So anyway, uh, moving on, it's not clear what this might mean for the aircraft, which ingested some of the phone into the engine intakes and the engine itself. I don't think I'd be worried so much about that as I would with that special coating that uh, makes that, uh, one of the components that makes that F-35A a a very stealthy jet. Right, Nick?
0: Yeah, uh, but if that special coating can't withstand, I don't know exactly what chemicals are in that foam, but I would hope that it could withstand most that nature that can throw against it, included acid rain and all the normal stuff you can get in our polluted atmosphere nowadays, I would hope it wouldn't have done it too much damage.
2: Well, I have seen like uh, news articles that, that say that there was a an airplane crash and the firefighting foam that uh, was used to take care of the situation somehow leached into or got into the local stream or river or whatever, and they were telling people not to eat or drink from the water or eat any of the fish that were downstream from that. Place and you're thinking, hmm, Ooh, yeah, there must well, be some really toxic not, stuff.
0: Yeah, probably not good to ingest, but yeah. hopefully, if they rinsed it off fairly quickly, they will have got away with it. But, you know, if you don't see that airplane fly for a while, <laughs> we'll know.
3: <laughs> Jeffrey's saying it's not potable.
0: It's not potable. Thank okay.
3: you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, boy, it's been a long time since I've played that. And I, that means I can't find it. But here we go. Potable. It's not. Um.
0: Or potable, come to that.
2: Uh, <laughs> what else was I going to say? It was very uh, He
0: said, holy crap. I kn- I'm reading a bit further on. The foam okay. bath certainly didn't appear to dampen the spirits of those who attended the ceremony. Dutch Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Lawrence uh, Jan so, I, uh, v, uh, why do they have such odd names? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Glad you a read pitch. that one. <laughs> uh, gave a speech to the crowd in which he explained his own experience of flying the F-35 for the first time. Holy crap. For a moment, I felt like a teenager on a very cool skateboard in Florida, he said. Now, I don't know. Was he a skateboarder in his youth, I wonder? But uh, hmm. Yeah, dude. I'm hoping totally. it would have felt. A bit better than being on a skateboard. That's all. Totally,
2: yeah. Okay. Well, uh, not sure what whoops. else to say about that. Yeah.
0: Could be expensive. Hopefully not.
2: Could mm-hmm. be an expensive mistake. All right. Um, item C. This is serious news. Uh, The FAA shuts down a Florida repair firm that supplied the faulty Lion Air sensor on the Boeing 737 MAX that crashed in Indonesia. Um, The Federal Aviation Administration shut down Extra Aerospace, that's X-T-R-A, Aerospace of Miramar, the company that supplied the faulty sensor. Uh, the regulator's revocation of EXTRA's aviation repair station certificate announced Friday means EXTRA is out of business. Late Friday, EXTRA issued a statement saying that we respectfully disagree with the agency's findings. It added that the revocation of its certificate is not an indication that EXTRA was responsible for the accident. And the news came the same day that the final investigation report into the Lion Air accident was released Friday by the National Transportation Safety Committee of India- Indonesia, Known by its Indonesian acronym Kilo November Kilo Tango (K.N.K.T.), um, so I thought it was interesting here uh, the paragraph. Uh, let's see, extra repaired and approved for service. A second-hand angle of attack sensor that was installed on the Lion Air jet to replace a faulty one, but according to the final K-N-T, K.N.K.T. investigation report. The replacement sensor was miscalibrated, so that the angle it registered was twenty-one degrees too high. Twenty-one, 21 degrees. degrees too high. That's a lot, people.
0: <laughs> yeah, that seems. That's
3: quite not an like two point one, which would, nope. I would, still would think would be very poorly calibrated. Yes. And problematic. Uh, twenty-one. Wow.
2: So apparently, there's on the calibration equipment. There's some kind of a a button that you're supposed to press or adjust or do something with uh, that you know kind of adjusts the calibration to that particular model of AOA vein or whatever and uh, the KNKT report states that the sensor was most likely improperly calibrated uh, because they did not have a written procedure that specified the proper position of a switch not a button on the test equipment that could have led to the miscalibration.
0: They didn't have written procedures. I mean, um, quality control is always written. There has to be a manual for everything, especially when you're coming to setups of test equipment and things. So uh, my brother's a QA engineer and uh, tells me all the time the standards that have to be met for uh, various uh, qualifications that put your your company in a certain position that allows you to undertake this work. And if you're in an aerospace company, it'll be very high. uh, so I just can't believe that. I just can't believe they managed to pass their inspections without written um, manuals on how to set up their equipment.
2: Yeah, that is kind of a glaring problem. Uh, the the AO vein, AOA vane that was installed on the uh, MAX had come off of an older Boeing 737-900ER jet in Malaysia that was sent for repair a year earlier to, uh, extra and they disassembled the unit and, um, replaced an eroded vein. And then that's the one they, and it was like the day before the accident. Re- you'll remember the, the day before the accident, the AOA vein had issues and had it not been for the jump seater saying, Hey, uh, turn off the stab trim switches there and they were able to safely fly the airplane and land um if it that was the day that the thing had been installed and the very next day as we know was the tragedy so again um not maybe the only reason why it crashed but was definitely one of those those swiss cheese holes
5: mhm
0: Oh, absolutely. But not the only reason that this company should have been closed down. There, there was, it had sinned more often than that, surely.
2: Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Ah, here we go. Uh, FAA said that uh, extra recklessly and systematically failed to comply with safety requirements, federal safety requirements. So I, I think there's probably more to their uh, management and uh, safety procedures uh, there than just this one particular fault. I. I sense that you're right about that. Although I don't know for sure, this doesn't go into anything else. But uh. yeah. Okay,
2: um, you know, on every show we gotta talk a little bit about the seven thirty-seven Max, right? So there you go. Uh,
3: we do. I, yeah. It's in the well, contract now.
2: That is, yeah. Okay. They they sent it to me. I haven't sent you a copy uh, uh, to yeah. a, to HR yet. Okay. <laughs> I look forward to reading it. Okay. Uh, let's see, item D. LL the uh, Israeli airline retires its last Boeing seven forty seven in style, and uh, I don't know if you can, can you guys see the graphic of the uh, the oh, what yeah. do they call those? Yeah, sky it's the A three nice
0: forty they did. What mm-hmm. a great tribute to the A three forty. Or perhaps nah. it's a, perhaps it's an A three eighty. It's probably an A three eighty. I think is what they've done. It Does look? It does kind of look more like a three eighty. You're right. Uh. <laughs>
2: Well, anyway, they. Um, Very nice. To, mar- so. to mark the end of the era, the pilot on the retirement flight for the 747 in Israel's national airline zigged and zagged, following a re- route shaped like the jet itself. Call it Sky Art. And uh, let's see. So I'm wondering, was this. So this is the last flight, right? Were, were there passengers on this? Like paying passengers? That's what passengers? I was wondering, too. Like that seems like it took a while to We're do that. just
3: gonna take this little detour over the Mediterranean here for a while and we're gonna we're gonna fly some odd uh turns.
0: Yeah, and I, I think don't, probably
3: not, but
0: I don't mean to query this, but it is an awfully symmetrical um line diagram. I mean it is it is line it is perfect, isn't it? Absolutely perfect. Well it is a Boeing seven forty
2: seven. Sort of mm-hmm. supposedly. Yeah.
0: Okay. But I mean, what I mean is that they, there's absolutely there's no there's no errors whatsoever in it. So this is I'm, fake news is what you're saying. No, I'm just saying it just looks a little <laughs> too perfect to me.
3: So you're saying they didn't hand fly it?
2: Well, I'm sure they didn't hand fly it. Uh, he's, very I think he's stupid. doubting that this was actually flown.
0: Actually flown.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they just, they, they uh, were in cahoots with flight radar 24 to...
0: I I could have produced that on a picture made of flight red. I tried to call. actually, although it does actually show uh, some other bits and bobs in the data, doesn't it? It's it does. To, it's got to show it. So they must have done it. It's just I was just very impressed with how good it looked. Yeah. Except the tail plane. It should have had a bigger tail plane than that. I don't quite understand that. Bit. <laughs> he's still he's still concerned about the fact that it's not very accurate. Artistic rendering. Artistic
2: rendering. It's, the, it's the creative uh, artiste License. Uh, in, in Nick
0: that's Down just phrasing, bothered yeah. by this. Yes, it is. It's too perfect. Not
3: accurate, not, well, it's too perfect, but not accurate enough.
0: Exactly. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Nailed so it. it wouldn't have made it onto the APG artwork. No no, no no definitely it could, not would not have been a piece of apg album.
2: and and you know what else is kind of disturbing about this they weren't we're going, going green. green no they were not they weren't we're going were they?
0: Green. <laughs> yeah particularly one of those gas gas guzzlers yeah oh.
2: always got the got to get a little ribbing in there <laughs> don't you uh let's see uh environmentalists are troubled about carbon emissions Uh, They may be a little less exuberant about the flight. Some people, including Greta Thunberg, the Swedish teenager who sailed across the Atlantic Ocean and flew back, by the way, in an emissions-free yacht to draw attention to global warming. She flew back
0: in an emissions-free yacht? How did she do that? No,
2: she she, um, sailed across in an emissions-free yacht, but on the way back, she flew in in an airliner or a jet probably a private jet. If you <laughs> anyway.
0: sail in a yacht aren't they all emissions free?
2: Yeah. I guess they're no. just they're Check just it. trying to well probably mostly unless they're running their motor.
0: I oh, wouldn't be sailing then would you? Oh, but
3: she wasn't worried specifically about this one was she? Oh, just about 747s in general. I don't know. Type of air. Not sure. Less I efficient wasn't... aircraft I think is what she's. Ah. No. Yeah, not specifically this this plane.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I didn't write this. This is this is the New York Times. You'll have to talk to them.
3: Okay, so. I shall send them a letter.
2: Yes, you should. Okay. We have concerns at the APG about about your actress this, about this article. <laughs> you should really shoot for
0: fifty percent, like we do. <laughs> well, there's some Blake here says uh, the pilot of a milestone flight has traced the shape of a plane before. Uh, as uh, a popular air travel website pointed out, in 2017, a Boeing pilot traced the outline of a 787 Dreamliner over the US. It took about 12 hours. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, that was over
3: the entire US, though.
0: Yeah, it was really? like a huge. Yeah, it was yeah. huge. It was like. It
3: was like part th- of a test flight, I think, like yeah. testing out certain things entire on the
0: continent. <laughs> but it, it took 12 hours to do it. How long did this plate take? I'm just curious. It didn't look like that big to me, so. I'm not sure. Like, it looks
3: like there, about, there's there a, a timeline graph? there. Yep, from mm-hmm. about uh, from about noon until two, so two hours. Not bad.
6: Mm. Mm.
3: Mm.
2: Mm. Mm. I feel like we <laughs> should probably move on.
3: We've spent a lot of time analyzing this. We did. This is it's the hard-hitting really... aviation news
2: that you yeah, all come was, for. This is serious stuff we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this is serious. At least it will be for the... Captain, that allowed this to happen, Uh, according to reports coming out of Russia, an unqualified young woman was allowed to fly a passenger plane on a scheduled flight in Siberia. Uh, So it was a. uh, There's some footage, uh, a video, of a young woman in her twenties. I thought she was pretty attractive, actually, Uh, flying the 44 seat Irero. Is that how would how would you pronounce it? I R arrow. Irero. I right. I twin turboprop Antonov 24 is now being investigated by Russian prosecutors. In the video, you can hear the male pilot giving instructions to the female passenger in the cockpit during the 1 hour and 45 minute flight from Yakutsk, Yakutsk to Batagay. <laughs> <That sounds, laughs>
7: Not, about that's not Russian
2: at all. <laughs> 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 okay, a spokesman for the Russian airline, when commenting on the reports, told the Siberian Times website, "There are doubts that these materials have anything to do with our airline's activities in providing passenger transportation." <laughs> uh, huh? more, more, fake news, apparently. Yeah, um, yeah. So I watched the video, and uh, oh, it, it turns out that the uh, the young lady was the uh, girlfriend of the uh, captain, apparently. And uh, so, yeah, oh, uh, in the, the video.
0: ex-girlfriend, because she was the one that posted the photo. Yeah. <laughs> Did she? Yeah, well, she, she made so. it. Woman, her, uh, woman named Anna posted photos and a video of herself flying on the plane uh, on Instagram.
2: Uh, apparently he didn't make it clear to her that you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. Not good, not good.
0: No, um, uh, particularly after the previous Russian aircraft that we know, where the captain led his son and wanted uh, oh yeah. to have mm-hmm. a go, and they subsequently lost control and crashed and killed everybody on board.
2: Did not, not did not
0: end well. No, not for anybody so. at all. Ah, not a great believer of that sort of thing.
2: Right. Uh, see second story regarding the Chinese pilot too. Okay, where is it? Oh, <laughs> it's in the. Uh, this is in intercommunications or backstage communications from our producer Liz, and it's scrolled down, okay, scroll down. Ah, look at that oh. thank you. um A pilot in China has been given a lifetime flying ban after a viral photo revealed he allowed a woman in the cockpit and uh, <laughs> I like how they pixelated her eyes <laughs> in this photo. <laughs>
3: You can see everything else except for... Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: so the picture which shows the female passenger sitting in the captain's seat and making a peace sign was widely shared on Chinese social media site Weibo over the weekend, or Weibo. Uh, thanks to the captain. So happy, read the caption. <laughs> captain, not happy. Uh, taken on an air Gulin. Gulin. How do you pronounce that stuff?
3: Gulin? I don't know. Air okay. Sure. Okay. Sounds good.
2: Um, the, on the fourth of January, so it's a, a while back. The image's recent circulation prompted the airline to issue the pilot responsible, who has not been named, with a permanent flying suspension. Why don't they just say they fired the guy? Well, uh, it sounds anyway.
0: more like that they've taken his license away.
2: Yeah, so he can't fly for anybody else either. Sounds
0: like it. Yeah,
2: so, you know, it's not the first time we've talked about these kind of things on the show. People should know better than to do this kind of stuff. Especially in this day and time when there's so much, you know, potential for having evidence and people sharing it, not thinking a thing about it. Um, Yeah. Wow. Oh, well. Anything else to say about that, Steph?
3: No, I think you summed it up pretty well. Pretty irresponsible.
2: I summed it up pretty irresponsibly. Thank you. You're welcome. And, don't, don't do it, people. <laughs> yeah, don't. No,
3: don't do not do this.
2: More advice. Just like don't drink and slide like our last. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So. And
3: speaking of, we talked about artwork briefly. I meant to say, if yeah. you have not looked at the artwork, even if you haven't listened to the episode yet, go look at the artwork for <laughs> three ninety eight. 98
2: Really, you do need to. And by yeah. the way, that's a um, a good point. There are some uh, podcast uh, software applications, whatever apps that actually show the um, the art for the uh, for the episode. Now, I don't think Apple's podcasts does. It does not. It just shows the standard generic airline pilot guy show uh, logo. But you should go and always go to the website and look at if you if your client software doesn't do it, go to the website and uh, check out the album art or the episode art because. Nick is a very creative person, and he just outdid himself on this one. A lot of detail there. <laughs> I'm still discovering. <laughs> it's a safety
0: card that uh, is a is a custom safety card. I
3: mm-hmm. should say for Acme Airlines.
2: Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. It's got some interesting escape routes. That's all I can say. <laughs> a lot of yes, a lot of <laughs> escape routes. Lots of lots
3: of helpful <laughs> tips as well.
2: Oh yes, uh, helpful tips. Yes. yes. Okay, and then. Um, Let's see. That's it, right? That's all you guys have in the news folder?
0: Yep, that's all I see. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, good. So we were, I'm going to save the item that I have in the Evernote news folder for the next show. And that means that we can move on with catching up with each other. So Getting to know you, getting to know all about you Getting to like you get into hope you like me <laughs> you like that? Mm-hmm. I didn't. No. Um I'm reserving you know, judgment. Say, yeah. Uh so while this the wonderful piano music is playing in the background and fading out, uh we're gonna talk about what has been going on with the APG crew. And hmm. Let's start with Nick. (laughs) Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Well, not a great deal. Uh, It's been uh, less than a week since our last one. I know. Not a huge amount of sound. Yeah, like six days, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, nothing flying wise. However, I did receive uh, an unexpected and very pleasant gift uh, through the mail. Uh, from Mark Heffer. So my uh, sincere thanks to Mark, who lives in St Leonard's on Sea, a lovely place, who sent me. Um, I think it's probably about a 1970s book. It uh, is actually uh, priced in both uh, modern uh, currency, uh, a decimal currency here, and the old-fashioned. So it's uh, one pound twenty-five or twenty-five shillings. Uh, which I think is rather quaint. Uh, It's The World's Greatest Air Mysteries. And he said, Mm -hmm. uh, avoid the first two chapters, which are about UFOs. He obviously understands my loathing of UFO stories. Uh, But there are some interesting uh, ones there that might, uh, if I'm lucky, uh, form the kernel for a plain tale. So thank you very much indeed for that, Mark. Very kind of you. Always appreciate these. I do warn people that I'm very poor at returning these so if you uh, if you have a treasured book that you want to have back don't send it to me because I will forget Never see it again. Yeah, you I, I will forget who sent it, won't know how to get it back to you and I'll have forgotten anyway. Um, so uh, but I do appreciate them uh, when I do get something like this that I can possibly use. So thanks. That's very okay. Much. I have
3: the I have the reverse problem. A friend of mine returned a book to me via mail the other day. I had no idea that I had given it to her or sent it to her in the first place. <laughs> didn't ever remember even owning it. So,
5: uh, is it possible
2: nothing. that you didn't?
3: <laughs> oh, no. It definitely was mine. Oh, okay. But I had forgotten.
0: <laughs> she
3: could have kept it. Anyway.
0: Other than yes. that, there's nothing uh, really except uh, on Friday coming up, two days' time, there's the uh, Phantom TDPU, which I think I mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Thinly disguised um, uh, something Meeting. up. Meeting. Meeting. Meeting Thingly, yes.
3: thinly, yes. this disguised, important
5: meeting.
0: Important meeting. <laughs> no, uh, uh, in the uh, Lord Moon Pub, in the Mall in London, uh, all of Friday afternoon and evening. So uh, I will be down there having a jar with my old phantom mates, which I'm really looking forward to.
2: In, in interesting story about how Lord Moon got that uh, name. He's <laughs> <laughs> there. I do tell. <laughs> That's something to do with uh, an act that some people call mooning. Oh, right? okay. No, I, probably I not. I,
0: I assumed he was uh, an astronomer, but
2: oh, that could be too. Yeah, yeah. It could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm looking forward to that and uh, bumping rubbing shoulders with a few old uh, Phantom friends. So that'll be fun.
2: Can't wait to hear about it. And on the next sing- show.
0: singing um, non PC songs like the flag. So
2: <laughs> well, don't don't record any of that. Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> or you can, and then just make sure you edit out all the uh That'll just be a continuous bleep
0: for about five minutes. <laughs>
3: oh.
5: We okay. look forward to hearing that. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll record some songs.
0: Well, no. Dang it. Mm-hmm. I gave him the idea.
3: Sorry, oh. Sorry Jeff.
0: <sighs> yeah. Too well,
3: late now.
2: Well, Steph, mm. did you do anything interesting between the last show and it's right now? It's
3: been six days. Yeah.
2: Does it feel like two weeks?
3: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of stuff, huh? Yeah, well, actually not that much. I mean, yeah. really, when you think about it. um no, we had actually um had a little trip planned, Justice and I to um, Las Vegas. um He was planning on staying for a bit longer than I was, but I was planning to meet him there for the weekend.
0: Hang on um, a minute. Anything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, so you're not allowed to tell us about well, it. Well,
3: I wasn't going to share all the details oh well, but, but no it's it's right, there's. Listen, it turned out to be a very, um, you'll see why here in a second. It's It's—it's okay to share. Uh, unfortunately, he was unable to attend, um, had to cancel kind of last minute because his, uh, his mother has been in poor health um, and felt like he needed to spend the time taking care of things related to that. Um, and then I said, well, if you're not going to go on the trip, I probably shouldn't be going on the trip. I can help out with stuff. And he said, well, no, I mean, really, it's just stuff I need to take care of. And, you know, we had already booked stuff and better if someone uses it and not, because otherwise it would just be non-refundable stuff. I said, well, okay. And he's like, well, just find someone to go. This is like three days before the trip to Vegas. Now, mind you, Vegas is, I think everyone mostly knows where Las Vegas is. I live on the other side of the country. So not a, a easy place to get to for most folks, especially last minute. But fortunately, I have very amazing neighbors um, who also do quite a bit of travel and have um, availability in their schedules and, and whatnot. And, um, uh, basically award points and things that they can use, uh, to travel kind of last minute without a lot of, uh, expense, uh, to them. So, uh, one of my neighbors went to, uh, was already planning to go to Iowa for, uh, some political related stuff over the weekend and her husband had nothing to do. And he said, well, Vegas sounds like a fun time. Let's go to Vegas. So Vegas. <laughs> we went to, went and had a Vegas trip with my neighbor, which was actually very fun. Um, We basically spent most of the time uh, checking out um, a lot of really good restaurants. I've consumed quite a lot of food in the past six days. Um, Mostly good tapas and sushi and all kinds of stuff.
2: And 63 degree eggs.
3: 63 degree eggs. I do like the 63 degree egg. Um,
2: What prey is a 63 degree egg? It's a little bit warmer than a 61 degree egg.
0: (laughs) Or a a bit further north? yeah <laughs> you could look at it that way.
3: It is an egg cooked at sixty three degrees Celsius yes for a a long period of time. I forget exactly how long, but it kind of comes uh-huh. out with it comes out soft, um, kind of like so the yolk doesn't get cooked as firm as like if you hard boiled the egg or something, but it's not it's not runny. It's kind of somewhere. I
2: like the oh. sous vide uh, method. Yeah, they, a little bit, a little bit like that. In a that. water bath,
3: mm-hmm. and, like water bath, so it stays a consistent temperature.
0: So, it's so when I take a bath, rare egg is it?
2: Yeah,
3: kind of. Yeah.
2: When I take it's, a bath, I don't know if I should share this or not, but I usually just take a whole bunch of eggs with me and put them in the bath too. So that's my own version of.
3: And then of you have sous vide, sixty-three degree.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, sixty-three is a little warm though. It's a little warm
3: for the bathtub <laughs> yeah, I was going to say yes. My Celsius
2: scale I'm is nice good. as
0: warm as I can handle. <laughs>
2: Yeah. what would that be 63 <laughs> really hot <laughs> really hot
0: <laughs> probably burn yeah. 30 you'd be,
2: burns. You'd have
3: been, yeah yeah burns yeah never mind I um, really don't do that what,
0: we did what that if it's and... cooking the eggs what do you think it's doing to you <laughs> cooking <Yeah>. my eggs <laughs> uh, lord I'm
3: sorry I brought this up for everyone but anyway they are delicious on avo- they're delicious on avocado toast and other uh, interesting things so anyway uh, if you have not tried one I'm sure you will soon because it seems to be a a new hip thing to do showing up at all the trendy restaurants. Um, and then we... Just turned a bit
0: red. I'm just... <laughs> yeah. You're right Jim. I was trying to save him a little bit and
3: he, he did that to himself. I think uh... my white balance needs to be adjusted.
0: Loosen <laughs> your time, man. You're choking. Uh, yes,
2: that must be it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Actually, I cracked myself up with that.
0: You <laughs> did. Cooking my you own did. eggs. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good leaf. Your idea. Anyway. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, since Josh. it changed
3: kind of the, um, you know, originally I was planning on flying kind of late on Friday to meet up with Justice to take the same flight. But since he wasn't going, my work allowed me to get out of, uh, to get on an earlier flight. So um, I think I arrived at the airport at 3.30 and I was like, oh, there's a 4.10 flight. I walked up as they were boarding. I said, can I get on the standby list? And she goes, well, it's full. And I said, yeah, I'd still like to be on the standby list. And I got the last seat on the plane. So. Oh, good girl. Wonderful yeah, it was excellent um so that was nice didn't arrive in vegas at midnight got there at about uh 5 p.m which was much better uh so consuming good food was able to start much sooner um spent quite a bit of time at the pool the the weather was actually very lovely in las vegas kind of sunny and 72 ish degrees all weekend long and went to see guns and roses
5: on
0: saturday night Yes, I saw some yes. of the pictures. Very good. Yeah,
3: it was it was a great show. It was, the last was show very this. jealous. I know. I you know I, I think I did remember that she was a fan. So next time for last minute tickets, we'll have to get her. It would have been it would have been close to get her to Vegas on time. I, think. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, give her like twenty four <laughs> hours notice for a last minute been, ticket. It would have been maybe,
3: maybe just that that much. So yeah, but yeah, but it that's was a enough
2: good time. notice for staff, but not for Julie.
0: Well, she's got a bit ah, further to fly. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, yeah. That's part yeah. of the
2: problem. <laughs> yeah.
3: And then um actually came back earlier than planned as well because, um, you know, the original plan was Justice was going to stay longer. So I was going to spend the whole day on Sunday in Vegas and take the red eye back and go to work. And I was truthfully kind of dreading that just a little bit because it's not a very long red eye flight from Vegas back to, to Charlotte. It's like three and a half hours. So it's not really enough time for adequate sleep. Um, so I went back earlier again on, stand, on standby. Uh, list so it was good it was a nice little uh little getaway my next to my neighbor for having some flexibility and joining me because it was fun
2: very cool now when you go do you gamble at all
3: you know um i had a couple requests and one of them i think was for uh, michael i don't know if he's still in the chat room um i did play number uh you want a roulette number 22 um that lost and then i was also supposed to place a bet on black um and that also lost so Mm i'm sorry my neighbor oh, well. did win on uh, roulette about 150 bucks, so.
5: Oh,
2: nice.
3: I just, he didn't make the same bets I did. I should have followed his instead.
2: <laughs> oh, well. Well, you tried.
3: Eh, yeah. It was fun. Yeah,
2: it was still fun. I'm not a gambler myself. I, I usually... It depends
3: on depends on who I'm there with. I wasn't really feeling like gambling a whole bunch. To be honest, yeah. like I said, we just, you know, we both, when we're working, work quite a bit. So it was nice just to kind of relax and mm-hmm. not do a whole lot. Excellent. Which amazingly you can do in Vegas as well.
0: You can do anything
3: to... in Vegas. This is true. This is
0: so true. long as you don't tell anybody about it.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as far as you know, that's all I did. So.
2: Yeah. Right. So we have <laughs> spies. We know what you really did.
3: Uh-oh. Secret cameras following you at... around.
0: Yeah. We got that captain to stick one up for you. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> it's on everybody's EFB. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anything
3: else? No, that was it. Okay.
2: Um, yeah. Well, so I went on this uh 3-day trip just got back from a little while ago. And I it was nice because I didn't uh, have to lug my recording equipment with me. And uh but I I got did get a chance to do a couple of meetups. And the first was a um meetup, kind of a private meetup in Florida near Sarasota, actually Bradenton. The a- airport we fly into is kind of halfway between Sarasota and Bradenton and a uh, young man named Kyle Hathaway uh, was there. He invited me to uh, come up and check out their 737-800 uh, SIM that uh, w- is a private SIM that was assembled um, and I, I can't remember his name, I think it was Sam, uh, his property in Bradenton and the instead of having like a regular garage or a three-car garage this thing is like two or three times the height of a regular garage with huge doors on it and Nick you'd immediately recognize it as oh that's a simulator building and sure enough it was and a private one and uh, so I did uh, take the H5 recorder with me and a mic and uh, I was sitting in the right seat and I was Kyle's co-pilot and I recorded this okay folks I am in well, in real life, I'm in Bradenton, Florida, and uh, in the virtual world, I'm uh, sitting. Well, actually, in real world as well, sitting in a seven thirty-seven eight hundred simulator, and we are presently passing through about nineteen thousand feet, heading up to flight level three seven zero. Actually, I guess we should do a climb check. Yes, we should do. All right. Um, Okay, Well, that's kind of handy. Oh, okay. Um, altimeters.
4: Standard.
2: Standard. All right. Climb check complete. Easy peasy. Anyway, we are in the virtual world uh, on a 737. Uh, Delta 209 is our call sign. And we're passing 20,000, or flight level 200, heading up to flight level 370. We just took off from Cancun's uh, runway 12 right, and we are heading to Quito, Ecuador. And this is all part of a project, World Flight. World flight. And they are here in Bradenton, and actually all over the world apparently, um, raising money for charity. and. I'm with uh, Captain Kyle Hathaway. I'm his first officer, and uh, say hello to the APG world, Kyle.
4: Hello, APG world. Good to be here with Captain Jeff flying.
2: I'm not flying. Kyle's flying.
4: Yeah, I guess I'm flying. It's good to be here with Captain Jeff in the cockpit.
2: So tell us about. uh, Tell us about the, the the. charity and you know what you're raising money for and a little bit about world flight and all that jazz uh,
4: we are raising money here in Florida for the all children's Hospital in st. Petersburg um, our our money goes towards the families to help them when when their kids are in the hospital so they can stay near their near their children uh, world flight started I believe it was 2000 from some teams in the UK um, basically it's A group of about I believe we're at 10 to 12 simulators I don't know the exact number around the world Um, it's usually organized out of Australia and every other team in various countries around the world we partake in it Uh, so we're flying online on the VATSIM network Um, and we can all we can all see each other we have live ATC uh, provided by uh, controllers on the VATSIM network and uh, we do a 24/7 operation simulating the airliner flying for the whole week. And well, uh, and we stream online on Twitch.tv, I believe, slash Cockpit Builders for our stream. And you can watch us there, and you can donate. And if the donations get high enough, some parts of the airplane start to fail.
2: Okay. Yeah, I was informed of that, and um, at first I was going to make a big push for lots of donations, but now understanding what's going to happen, please do not donate. (laughs) Yes, as Kyle said, we're on a live video stream. And Cockpit Builders, uh, you can learn more about cockpitbuilders.com.
4: And so cockpitbuilders.com is a cockpit building website. We also have uh, the website for the team is uh, World Flight Team USA. Um, And you can find our stream linked from there.
2: All right. I got that wrong, I guess. Um, So that's... um, And I... Understood um, that uh, the donations, the, the contributions for the charity, the children's hospital, one hundred percent go to the uh, the hospital, the, the yeah. chair and so I was under the impression that I was going to get fifty oh, okay. percent, like, actu-
4: like your accuracy, like your accuracy rating, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh well, it's still a lot of fun.
4: It's called bait-and-switch, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, this is a lot of fun. Um, and it's incredibly detailed, this uh, simulator here. And it really does feel like we're flying. And uh, I'm very, very impressed with, with all of this. So um, thank you for inviting me. Kyle, anything else you'd like to say about World Flight and cockpit builders and all that?
4: Uh, no, just check it out. Uh, we do this once a year, every November, uh, first week in November every year. Uh here in Sarasota, for us in in North America, we're a North American team here. No, um, oh, and that's about it. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for inviting
2: me. It's uh, my pleasure. That was a lot of fun. Very realistic. Uh, these simulators that these uh, hobbyists build are just amazing. I mean, Nick, if you walked into one, you'd think that that was something that you know your company uh, had for your for your Category D training device or whatever. Um, although it wasn't on a full motion thing, uh, it will be at some point. I saw the motion platform outside. Apparently it had uh, suffered some damage from a flood or something. But uh, really, really nice. Really nice.
0: Yeah, it's amazing uh, how the personal computers have got to such a state that they could run this software with mm-hmm. ease. Uh, and run big screens, and the whole cost of this kind of technology has come down to the where the to the point was. Don't don't get me, um, don't let me uh, misconstrue this, but because uh, it's still quite expensive to build one of these, but uh, it puts it within the reach of a a group. Whereas uh, you know a full blown three motion uh, simulator that you and I fly in uh, uh, costs millions. You yes. can build an extremely good replica. For uh, you know, a few thousand dollars. So very impressive.
2: Right. Now this one we were in probably was I, I'm just guessing. They didn't tell me, but I would imagine probably pushing ten grand, I would imagine. Um, and it's still a work in progress, but it's an incredibly serious hobby out there. And I think we mentioned an uh on a previous episode, maybe last year when this was going on, or perhaps maybe a couple of years ago, because I do remember talking about this uh charitable event world flight um, Australia and the 747 that uh, they use for the Australian team. If you go to the website uh, worldflight.com.au you'll see that uh, there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six uh, simulator teams, well maybe five in Australia, one in um, in uh, New Zealand and then uh, a couple in I think in the uh, UK, can't tell from their names, Czechoslovakia, Germany, Germany, Turkey. And uh, this one is called World Flight Team USA. But as Keith, men- uh, Kyle mentioned, uh, he's Canadian. You could probably tell from his accent. Um, and uh, so it's it's kind of like a team North America, actually. And uh, so really cool. It's a wonderful thing they do to raise money for charities, local charities. So the the teams that are in other parts of the world, they're raising money for their, for a local charity there as well. And uh, as you mentioned, 100% of the donations go to the charity. And by the way, uh, looks like it's still going on. There's a timer here that says they've been doing it for four days, one hour, 34 minutes, and 10 seconds. So I think they're going to be doing it for a full week. So please check out if you're listening live right now or you're listening you know shortly after we release this. Uh, head over to worldflight.com.au au, and then perhaps you can find a, a team in your country and contribute to the cause.
0: That'd be great. I mean, Jason Cochran in the uh, chat rooms just mentioned that he he thinks the, just the overhead panel will cost you about nine thousand. Oh. Uh, dollars so I think you can you can wow. b- build one. <laughs> you can build one for a lot less. If you don't want to go for the, you know, the full experience, but if you wanted to look exactly like the real thing, then obviously you're going to have to fork out a lot of money. The seats on this thing,
2: these were actual Boeing. I mean, I recognized them immediately. They were just like the 727 seats. Oh, really? And they're real Mm -hmm. real Boeing 7-something series seats. And the center console was, you know, identical to what I remembered the 727 console looking like. Like except for we had three um, thrust levers, Captain L, uh, or uh, throttles, throttles, <laughs> butterfly valves um, in the middle. But uh, anyway, it was a it was a great time. Thank you very much, Keith, for and uh, I don't know why I keep calling you Keith, Kyle, for inviting me up. It was a blast. Oh, you know what? Actually, the best part of it is one of the uh, team up there. His wife uh, is from the Philippines, and she cooked an amazing meal. And it was, uh, I don't know if you guys have had Pancit before. There's a little, mm-hmm. th- really thin, uh, rice noodles and a nice spicy sauce and chicken and, and peppers and that kind of thing. Oh man. I walked into the room. They said, do, do you want to, you know, grab a bite to eat before we go back to the hotel? And, uh, as soon as I got close enough to smell it, I went, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And as soon as I saw what were in those pots, I thought, I think that, I've had this before and I love it. So uh, thank you very much for that. That was a wonderful meal. Um, yeah. So that thank was on my first, my first meetup on the trip. And then yesterday I had a layover in Toronto and I met up with our producer, Liz, and, uh, a few others. And you're going to, you're going to hear from them here in a moment. We went to a local place. I think it was the same place that, uh, they went to when uh, Dana had a layover up there, I think uh, sometime, I guess earlier this year or was it last year? I don't know, it was pretty recent. Um, anyway, called Scattabush, Italian Kitchen and Bar. And here is some audio from that. Hey there, we're at Scattabush in Toronto, Canada. And we're at a meetup here and it's just been a, a wonderful time. Um, sitting at a table here. Let's see. I'm going to count: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of us, including me, uh, showed up here for this wonderful meetup. And I'm going to do as we always do: pass the microphone around. And we're going to start with Christian Bale. He's uh, got a break from shooting uh, whatever movie it is. He's oh wait a minute, nope. I'm sorry. It's Christian Bays. Uh He's sitting next to me, and he is going to tell you about uh, our little meetup here, maybe a little bit about himself.
4: Well, it's wonderful to have uh, Captain Jeff here in Toronto. Um, there's no T at the end, it's just Toronto. Toronto, yeah. So great to have you here. Uh, we've had the pleasure of uh, having uh, Captain Dana here, and I missed Captain Steph when she snuck in and out of town for the uh, Canadian International Air Show. And uh, we just have to get Captain Nick here. He can stop in when he's on his way to visit his family out in B.C. or something, but uh, it would be great to uh, meet with the two of them. Uh, so, yes, I'm Christian Base and uh, not nearly as good-looking as Christian Bale and don't have nearly enough money.
2: That's not true. Well, maybe the money part.
4: And uh, I will pass it over to uh, Jeff's uh, first officer. Nick.
7: Yes,
0: yes, I'm the first officer on this trip. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I'm the first officer on this trip. It's, it's been uh, fun. We only had two days together,
7: though, unfortunately, so it's too bad. But uh, it's, it's been cool getting to know everybody that's kind of part of this community and seeing a whole other part of aviation that I don't usually get to see. So, uh,
6: yeah, it's, it's been a real pleasure coming out tonight and, uh, and meeting everybody. So I uh, will continue on the microphone. <laughs> Hello, APG community. My name's Dan, and uh, thanks, Captain Jeff, for coming. Thanks, Liz, for organizing. And uh, Nick, sorry for badgering you uh, with the uh, constant questions. But uh, here's Sean.
4: Hello, Hello, this is Sean. Uh, Nick didn't say how awesome he was, but he's pretty awesome. Um, This is my first time coming out, and it's great to meet Captain Jeff and his first officer. And, uh, and meeting everybody else here. It's a great group and I enjoy listening. I've been listening since episode, I think it's like what, 120 or something like that. So, <laughs> and uh, so I'll pass the microphone
0: on here. Well, this is my uh, second, third APG meetup. Um, I'm Brenda, uh, married to John, the flying doc. And uh, I, this is all I wanna say. I'm gonna do a, a musical tribute. I love pasta, I love cheese, I love the APG community.
6: So it's great to be here with everyone. That's it. That's all you get.
2: (laughs) Okay, she's got to do a Java Jive for, and I've been bugging them to do that for so long. You got to, yeah, I mean, you guys got to, well, we'll do it at some other time. Yeah. All right. Here is Brenda's lesser half.
0: Well, it's, it's my star is born. My, my lovely wife, she uh, can perform like that, and uh, she did. So, again, we're delighted to have another uh, weekly meeting of the AB, ABG Syndrome Sufferers, and we're commiserating each other in this lovely downtown establishment and meeting some uh, old friends and new friends. So, always a delight to come and enjoy the uh, the company and the... Uh, the repartee, uh delightful time. So we're going to pass along to uh, the chief operating officer, the CEO. The money behind the APG is Liz.
3: Okay then, John. Now that we've covered all the talented people on this side of the table, um, anyway, thanks, Jeff and Nick, for coming tonight. It's really great to have you come up to Toronto and meet up with us. So always great to have you up here. And I know everybody's enjoying spending some time.
7: Over to Chris.
4: Well, hi there. It's Crispy Rat. Um, stumbling across this meeting tonight was reminded me how what a roving bunch this is. I must say the highlight from the evening for me was when uh, Captain Jeff's first officer was asked for ID before he could participate in a beer, and Jeffs discussed when they asked him for ID to see whether he shouldn't be back at home but uh, always good to see the
0: guys thanks for coming into Toronto and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon Hi, I'm George Leslie this is my first meetup, and what an honour to meet Captain Jeff on the very first uh, get together and it's a great bunch of people here it's quiet, not not, not quiet but but, uh, I found out about your podcast through um, when Nick appeared on Every Little Thing and he did a plug for you and I went in and got the syndrome early and in there was a couple of weeks that the to the exclusion of all media i was apg only
2: you are a sick man you are a sick man so nice to meet you and uh welcome to the uh apg community and uh, the aviation podcasting community uh in general and uh, a lot of great uh shows out there um I could name them all, but the only one I can't include in that category is Opposing Bases. That one, I'm not sure how in the world they're still doing the show. I don't think they have any listeners at all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, it's been great uh, to see everyone. And uh, as always, and I say this every time, the best part of doing all of this, yeah, the, the show is fun, uh, but uh, the camaraderie and the community is just the best part of this and actually meeting people face to face. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and end this little audio and going to throw it back to the studio. Thanks, Jeff, for throwing it back to me. And uh, yeah, as you can tell, we had a great a great time there at the Scatabush uh Italian kitchen and bar. Was and the food good? Yeah, it was really good. Thank you, Liz, for the treat. And for organizing it and uh, all that. Great to see everybody. And uh, hope to do it again sometime in the future. Maybe in the springtime when it starts getting warm again up there. I, I think so. Liz told us that it was snowing already
0: up there today. Yeah. So yeah, she was out walking uh, Hannah in the snow. Uh, great to hear that uh, an every little thing listener yeah. uh, managed to uh, find our show. So that was worthwhile doing. That was good.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for doing that, Nick, and uh, for for, uh, promoting our show. Okay. And let me just make sure there was nothing else to talk about. So if you want to see where some of us are, if we know where we're going to be around the country or around the world, um, and if you want to see when we might be uh, recording the next episode and other cool community information, please head over to our calendar which is uh, found by heading over to airlinepilotguy.com dot com slash calendar. It's also on Slack, and you really should join our Slack team, and Hillel will tell us about that. And um, no. no not time yet. Yeah, end of the show. Okay. yeah, he he's not keeping track of the time. Uh, Hillel will tell us about the uh, how you can join the Slack team at the uh, at the end of the show. All right. With that, then, I think we should move on to the Coffee Fund, which is uh, a group of um, people, listener-supported. This is what the show is. It's uh, not supported by advertising at all, and uh, we do appreciate our Coffee Fund cadre, our uh, coffee bar uh, club, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Great people that um, take ownership in the show and give us some financial support. And let me play the coffee fund theme. Johnny, how much more coffee? No
6: thanks.
2: I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community.
5: Coffee and tea, and the Java and me.
2: A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. That is the Jeff Smith in Nashville, Tennessee, who does our APG theme and sings the Java Jive for us while we talk about those fantastic folks who contribute their financial resources to our show. And since the last episode, using the Coffee Fund Classic method, we have Randy Ackerman, uh, Brent Brackhoff, or Brackhop, and Raganath Apudari. How'd I do, Raganath? Probably butchered your name. Sorry about that. Anyway, thank you all for your generous contributions. And you can also become a patron of the show, uh, like pledge a certain amount per episode. And you can find out information about that on the website. And since the last show, we have a new executive producer and his name is Daniel Thepper. Daniel Thepper. I was going to try to do a Dr. Pepper thing, but it didn't work. Oh, well. Too much music in the background. Anyway, thank you, Daniel, for becoming an executive producer. And if you want to join him, along with everybody else in this uh, group of folks, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. I know that we are. Captain, incoming
4: message. Thank you.
2: Okay, so we're now on to one of the best parts of the show, which is your feedback, and we're going to start with item one, Brian from Katy, Texas, and he sent us some audio feedback.
7: Hello, Captain Jeff and crew. This probably falls under the category of rumor and hearsay, but in watching the uh, game six of the World Series, of the American League Championship Series uh, on Saturday night. There was a comment by the Fox broadcaster that I thought was interesting, and it was actually airline related. Uh, the Fox broadcast crew and the umpires were on a chartered flight out of New York on Friday night after game five. And he he mentioned that when the uh, plane was getting ready to take off, it uh, sounded like it was on the runway. Uh, they had to, uh, stop the takeoff or stop taxing and go back to the gate. And the pilot mentioned, uh, to the crew or to everybody that was there, the Fox newscast crew and the umpires that he had never seen so many red lights in his cockpit before. And that's why they had to turn around and, uh, go back, uh, I did some quick searching and was not able to find anything other than what was said uh, during the broadcast, but I thought it was interesting, and y'all might be able to find uh, some additional information on that. Uh, Have a good day, and uh, talk to y'all later. By the way, this is Brian from Katie. I realize I didn't say that at the beginning. Well, I told them. At the beginning. Oh, thank you, Brian, for
2: that. And uh, I searched for that incident as well and was not able to find it. Uh, Perhaps charter flights don't fall or filtered out of uh, sites like the Aviation Herald, or perhaps it was something that was not reported. I don't know. Uh, But I did look and uh, was not successful. Um, Not so sure that that would be something that I would share with Everybody on my flight. Definitely
0: something I wouldn't share. I mean, uh, there may be some nervous passengers on board, and uh, I think it's a very responsible thing for the captain to start coming out with quips like that. There are a lot of people who really won't appreciate knowing that, even if it's not in, you know, even if he was just having a bit of a joke. But no, I don't think that's the best idea. Yeah.
2: But apparently it was something that uh, wasn't good for continuing the takeoff, and they did the right thing, apparently, by uh, aborting the takeoff. So, yeah, interesting stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I I only have a few resources to really look at to see, you know, what I can find for these things, and it just was not successful. So, sorry, Brian. Um Let's see. Welcome back. Hi.
3: Good to be back. Yes. No, sorry. I had to take a uh, quick (laughs) uh, work related phone call. there. (laughs) I apologize. Um, I should should have been able to get to it earlier in the day and was not able to due to busy
0: schedules. So
2: I understand. Yep. You know, we have lives and jobs and stuff that we have to do. That's why we're it, doing the show jobs, late.
0: What, what are these job
2: Nick doesn't things? have a job.
3: No, your job is to be here. That's right. That's <laughs> your job. The artwork. And, uh, yeah. We've given you a full-time job.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, item two. Um, Michael, uh, what's up with the closed window shades? Hi, Captain Jeff and APG crew. I've been on a trip from Sydney, Australia to Houston, Oh, by the way, before we do that, I just saw Houston and, and I want to congratulate the um, oh that wasn't Houston. Uh the, no, they lost. the Washington Nationals for winning there <laughs> um and winning the uh, the World Series. So sorry those of you who are fans of the Houston Astros. Anyway, I probably shouldn't have mentioned it. I'll cut it out in post probably. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um anyway, I've been on a trip from Sydney, Australia to Houston, New Orleans, Washington, DC. Boston and now New York. Checked your schedules, and unfortunately, there were, there were uh, no sync-ups in destinations. Now, what's with the window shades in the U.S.? It's like being in a tomb <laughs> flying domestic over here. I agree. Um, in Australia, it's the law to have shades up during takeoff and landing. That rule seems to have disappeared over here. I was last over in Boston in 2015, and I'm pretty sure it was up all, uh, all up at the time. I've been to China, India, and Singapore in the meantime, and they still have the rule. I get the heat issue during taxiing, but it makes sense for safety reasons to lift them up. Otherwise, may as well jump on a carnival ride and close your eyes. I've been flying standby, so I haven't had the luxury of choosing where I sit, and unfortunately it seems to be in the middle or aisle. Yeah, that's why I think Steph always goes for the window, and I do too. Uh, yeah. So we have, you know control.
3: that, that, uh, I mentioned I had, I did fly standby twice this past weekend. The first time I got, it was the very last seat on the plane available and it was a window seat. And I was like, Ooh, good luck there. Um, well, on the well, way back, not so lucky aisle seat. And the guy in, uh, the window seat on my row had the shade closed most of the time <laughs> during the middle of the day.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I had the shade closed as well. All the time. No, not during takeover landing, because in the UK, uh, it's a requirement to have it open. But uh, no, in in most of the cruise car, you know, you're up at 36,000 feet. The world is white and fluffy. It's blindingly bright. And unless you're going past something significant, might as well watch a decent movie. Uh, The view's not very good out of those tiny little windows anyway.
2: He's lost that love (laughs) and feeling. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I do too. I mean, I kind of
2: lower it a little bit. Not completely. I I usually have it cracked a little bit. So
3: if the sun is like shining directly in my eyeball, I I think any sane person is going to lower the window shade at least a little bit so that you don't have the the sun blinding you. But um, no, actually quite the opposite. Even if I'm watching a movie, unless there's a ton of glare and I can't see anything, I'd prefer to keep the window shade open.
2: I was uh, on a a non-revenue flight up to uh, Baltimore uh, when I went up to the uh, Captain Cool's party. Mm-hmm. And uh I, I had a window seat and it was actually a window, you know, not one of those window seats that there's no window that doesn't there. have a window. <laughs> yeah. And uh and I had it open and somewhere during the climb out, you know, shortly after takeoff, <laughs> the person sitting next to me just reaches over with his arm and just and slams the window shade shut <laughs> just look at him like i didn't even look at him i just immediately as soon as his hand went away i went and i popped it all the way up right back up that kind of irked yeah. me a little bit i'm thinking what are you doing that's my
3: window like you don't have control of the window shade <laughs> my you window. got if you're in the middle you get both armrests that's, that's right. how this works you have armrests i have window <laughs> exactly person on the aisle has bathroom access it's all kind of give and take here and i
2: must say that the way i reacted was probably a little bit <laughs> i mean i, I just think slammed I done it the... right back up and like don't you ever think about doing that again. I didn't say anything, I, but then I thought, you yeah, know, I probably I, could have maybe more slowly opened it up, you know, instead of slamming it up. like. I that. think
3: I would have looked at them, given them a very bizarre, confused, <laughs> half angry look. And then slowly, like while still maintaining yeah. eye contact, window shape yeah. back up. Yeah. Like, you don't remind me don't not to, to sit beside
0: you, Steph. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: I'm nicer to people I know. Window wars. Oh, okay. I like Liz
2: Liz's <laughs> statement. Window wars. Window wars. <laughs> it might be a could title. Could be a
3: new uh could be a new reality TV show. We <laughs> just follow people actually on the aircraft.
2: Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Could be must- so I thought that was kind of no, it really wasn't amusing. It was irritating, but thought I'd have, share that. Have
3: we ever here in the US had the rule I don't of know. keeping the window shade? I have never know, I have never heard it said ever once in my thirty years of life um <laughs> 23 that 23 uh that window shades must be open for takeoff. i never have heard it landing. Landing. either i have a
2: feeling what it is stuff is that uh it used to be that people were excited about flying and wanted to look outside and <laughs> so that's why they were always up and now awesome. we're in the world yeah. where nobody wants the windows open they could care less about what they were what they're doing where they are and uh
3: there's a lot of airlines now where the entertainment option is actually bring your own device Mm -hmm. and you have access to movies tv whatever um and those screens are probably a little bit more difficult to see if there's a lot of ambient light Mm -hmm. um i don't know actually i think the seat back ones are pretty difficult to see too sometimes yeah um but yeah i think everyone's just got so much easy access to entertainment it's easy to shut out the outside world yeah have your own little you know private movie studio while you get from point a to point b people like nick Mm-hmm. yeah get a book if you have a book you need all that nice ambient <laughs> yeah. light so that you can see easily and you've got a book someone sent you a book that you're never going to return <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, probably i I did warn him yes, yes. you did <laughs> yes i i actually uh i didn't read the letter too well and i started the first uh chapter on uh the great ufo mystery and I did wonder what on earth he sent me. Then I read the letter and he said, ignore the first two chapters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy.
3: Does it have to do with rods and cones? Partially. Um, I think more so it just has to do with direct visualization out the window. You know, if there's, if you need to, uh, if, so keeping the window shades open um, during takeoff and landing, if there's a need to stop and evacuate for some reason, mm-hmm. you want to be able to look out the window and physically see what is happening that right. is the Weather. reason
0: that that's the safety yeah. right ra- reason that we uh, keep them open.
2: yeah hmm. see whether the airplane's right side up or upside down or if there's a fire out there or something Air. yeah
6: yep mm-hmm.
2: okay uh well thank you uh michelle or michael however you pronounce your name uh for the for the feedback and your the answer is uh i don't know we don't know what's going on
3: we're lame yeah we we're sorry sorry we apologize yeah
2: yeah, but you know, you knew what you were getting into sending a feedback to a show that's only 50% accurate. True. Yeah. Uh, item three Ham Radio Jim. Greetings. I was traveling on a domestic airline this weekend and was troubled by something I witnessed. A gentleman was waiting in the pre board line at the gate. He was sitting on a lithium ion powered uh, mini handicap mobile, mobility scooter. Wow, that's a mouthful. A lithium ion battery-powered mini handicap mobility scooter.
3: Have you seen these, by the way? No. Because I was behind someone in line um, going through security, I forget in what airport, um, but it's like a miniature little scooter, and it kind of folds up into suitcase size. It's heavy still, so you need assistance kind of lifting it and moving it, but it's much more portable than like, you know, a big mobility scooter or a power wheelchair. Do you, do you wheelchair. just like stand
2: on it or you kneel on it or something?
3: It's still No, you still sit. It has a, it has a, it has a little seat, oh. and you can kind of tuck yourself up into it, but it's just kind of Compact.
2: So I need to get one of those.
3: So do I. <laughs> uh, no,
0: anyway,
2: I have not seen those.
3: That, I, I thought it was very neat, but. Um, if I get one of those, after the can fact... I
0: compete in the marathon, <laughs> you'll I... have to have some extra batteries, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all right. I can bring some batteries. <laughs> some have some people
2: like way. posted along the route just to, to swap out the well, batteries. Yeah, the
0: but... people who want to run, they get water. I get batteries. <laughs> But
3: anyway, after after um, I didn't even think about it at the time. Just standing in line in security, like it was such a interesting because um, I just cause I hadn't seen one before, so I was kind of interested in it asking about you know more how it folded up and the mechanics of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about the battery issue until after the fact. So carry on, ham radio, Jim, because I think yeah you and I have he was similar
2: questions. He was thinking about it. As I boarded, I noticed the scooter sitting in the jetway along with the child seats, carriages, etc., with a checked baggage tag on it. I saw the man seated inside and asked him about this, and he said his scooter was, quote, airline approved. I didn't want to hold up the boarding process, but what I should have asked him is, did you remove the battery from your scooter before turning it in as checked baggage? I wonder if your airlines have a requirement to have customers remove the large lithium-ion batteries from these scooters before accepting accepting them as checked baggage. These batteries are significantly larger than a laptop battery, and I'm not comfortable knowing that there are these large lithium-ion batteries in the cargo hold of the airplane I'm flying. Do you share my concern? Yeah, we're all concerned about these lithium-ion batteries, uh, not accessible um, in the cargo hold. Uh, Does your airline require these batteries be removed prior to stowing them in the cargo hold? When these batteries are carried in the passenger compartment, compartment at least there's a chance that they can be stabilized if a thermal runaway occurs. As always, I look forward to an intelligent and comprehensive discussion on this topic. <laughs> I'm, Radio sure. Jim, man, I'm sure the there's a podcast are... where you can find that. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah,
0: let us know when you find it.
2: We'll go and listen. We'll do our best. Uh, I believe these types of incidents will only increase in the future. Uh, witness the smart suitcases and similar travel-related lithium-ion items that are appearing on the market. Thanks and congratulations to you all on 400. Yeah, next episode, 400. Mm-hmm. And this is Ham Radio Jim 73s from Whiskey to November Sierra Foxtrot, his ham radio call sign. Uh, P.S. Something always seems to take me back to my time at the Air Force Flight Test Center at Edwards Air Force Base. I remember back in the early 70s, getting involved with the safety and health aspects of these then new and classified batteries being used in air-to-air. Oh, in air-to-air missiles. Oh, didn't know that's what they were using for the back then. Very cool. So I just quickly looked up at the uh, ACME guidance for uh, mobility devices and lithium-ion batteries, and um, let's see. It says attention, verbal notification to the captain is required. When lithium-powered mobility aides are on board, I've never been told about this. I don't, maybe we've never carried one on my flights. Uh, uh. <laughs> anyway, I supposedly am supposed to be aware of that, uh, but a notification to officer-in-command or a no-talk uh, is not required. Advise the captain during the huddle-slash-minute brief before boarding. Okay. Uh, for lithium-ion-powered mobility devices that are collapsible and contain an easily removed battery. So I'm assuming that that was what that gentleman had and what you saw, Steph?
3: I I would have to guess that the battery is removable. Because, yeah, it collapses. It kind of folds up into like a kind of a giant briefcase, suitcase-type okay. deal. Um, I'm looking at some of these online right now, actually. Um, most of them weigh about 50 pounds or so. Ooh, that's heavy. Well, there's, there's a 35, oh, one has a piece that's only 30, heaviest piece is only 35 pounds. <laughs> uh, well, but, so, but yeah, the ones, some of them are about 50 to 60 pounds.
2: Uh, it's a lot lighter so, yeah, than they those, are, those ones that are, are like heavy, big but, full-size ones. I mean, they're so heavy that sometimes two like huge oh, yeah, ramp you can't, workers can't hardly pick the darn thing yeah. up.
3: Yeah. So these are definitely more portable. I mean, they're not light by any means, yeah. but for... For what they are and what they do and the amount of weight that they can actually carry, Um, most of them have weight capacities of around 300 pounds. Okay. Not bad.
2: Uh, Customers may carry on the one installed battery as well as two spare batteries. Again, carry on. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Uh, Each battery must be capable of less than 300 watt hours or contain less than 25 grams of lithium content, which is labeled on the battery. And for mobility devices where the lithium battery is installed as an integral part of the device... The device must be carried in the cargo compartment. Hmm, that is troubling, I think. Uh, It will not count toward a customer's baggage allowance and will be transported free of charge. The device must be turned off. There must be at least one method of preventing accidental activation. um, And there is no battery size limit. The battery casing, if exposed or accessible, must provide protection to the battery. So it sounds like these things are being put in the cargo hold with... uh, uh, the ones that are integral that you can't take the battery um, out of it, I'm assuming. So,
0: yeah, hmm. I I I took the time to look at a number of airlines' policy on those, and I've seen varying limits uh, in Europe. Between uh, most of them in, in Europe, seem to be a maximum of 100 watt hours, uh, and um, they don't require so long as the um, uh, the battery is properly housed and protected in the device it's not removed uh, and it's left in the device um, and and there has to be other regulations so there has to be uh, a way of um, isolating the battery um, from you know accidental discharge accidental uh, short circuit uh, so you know, you have to be able to turn it off properly, and, and so that it can't be turned back on again by accident, etc. So, uh, three hundred watt hours is pretty big, one hundred, yeah, manageable. Uh, but um, you can also carry two in your hand luggage and bring them on board in the cabin, which I guess is a better idea. But I think the the problem we're meeting here, Jeff, is that these are. Uh, for people with a disability. And the Mm -hmm. the laws for disabilities at times are so strict that it rather puts the airline um, in a difficult position. So you can't deny them. But uh, sometimes taking the battery out of these things is either impossible or presents a bigger risk than leaving it properly housed and cushioned and protected inside the device.
2: Good point. So what's a person to do, huh?
0: I think you just cross your fingers, don't you? Yeah, hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I'd love to know how many of these devices, which are used every day, they go trolling around, uh, you know, the, your uh, average mall or up and down the streets. How many of them have little bumps and crashes that actually ignite the battery? If there were some stats on this, it might make me feel a bit more comfortable or not, as the case may be. Yeah, you really don't hear about it. Um, nope. Have, no. haven't heard anything no. at all.
2: Yeah. Mm-mm.
0: Mm-mm.
2: Well, good question, Ham Radio Jim. Thanks for sending in that feedback.
0: Yeah, kind of, uh, you you might want to buy yourself a decent car if you're not going to fly with any of these mobility scooters in your hold because <laughs> I'm afraid they're probably going to be there. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: Have some advice for them. Get one of those really nice uh, Class A luxury motorhomes. Travel oh, and that's stuff. Good
0: Ooh, idea. There, you yeah. Yeah. there you go. There you go. Absolutely. And then find someone to drive it for you so you can sit in the back and drink beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or oh, <that's laughs> hide in the bathroom
3: and not watch what's going that on, on the Sounds very familiar to me. Yeah,
0: put the telly <laughs> on oh yeah, absolutely. You have a fine time.
3: <laughs> Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, we had
2: a we had a good time. I was just looking through some pictures today and uh yeah, that that whole road trip was a was a blast.
0: <laughs> oh, it was fun. Absolutely.
2: Yeah need to do that again sometime
0: well please yeah
2: um let's see item four ben he's transiting transitioning from helos to the airlines and he has uh, some audio feedback some short audio feedback for us and let's take a listen
6: hey airline pilot guy community this is ben calling from fort rucker alabama home of army aviation I'm currently an Army Reserve helicopter pilot, and I've been listening to your show for about six months now. really enjoy uh, all the great content you guys put out on a weekly basis. I'm transitioning to a career at a regional airline, and uh, hearing your conversations have been informative. It's one thing to hear about people complaining on online forums, and it's another to hear dialogue and talk on what the industry is really like. One question I have is regarding airport standby versus short-call reserve. I see my regional has both, and I'm wondering if picking which kind of reserve I'll end up being on is seniority-based, location-based, or if I should expect to have a combination of both of them. Also, as a thank you uh, to your show, I wanted to do a giveaway on wingitapparel.com, and they also wanted to offer your listeners a discount code of APG10 for a week. They got cool, clean-looking... Uh, aviation apparel for jets fighters helicopters and other stuff well anyways that's it for me Uh, you guys have a great rest of your day
2: well thanks ben and uh, uh, thank you for telling us about your transition from the uh, military helos to regional airlines and uh, we always love hearing people's journey and uh, let's see the, the question now, I'm not sure we're going to be able to give a definitive answer on this because I think it will vary depending on what airline that you end up flying for and, uh, the types of reserves they have like at, um, Acme, we don't even have the only time we have airport standby is I think when we were flying the, um, the shuttle, uh, service between Boston, New York, uh, LaGuardia and, um, washington national and i'm not even sure we'd do that still we might i don't know anyway we uh that was the only time i've ever heard of the that kind of reserve where you actually go to the airport but i knew the i do know that the regional airlines do have that and maybe some of the majors as well and uh, the short call reserve where you are not necessarily uh, needed to be stationed right at the airport but you have a reasonable amount of time to uh, respond to a short call, and for us, it's generally within uh, within a two hour time frame. So, if you're on short call reserve, uh, you can you know live your life as long as you understand that you can't uh, go too far away, uh, so that you can uh, get back home and uh, grab your suitcase, put your uniform on, and get to the airport within that two hour call out period. Um, and as I think, I suspect that with most airlines, again, I'm just guessing, it would be that third option where you probably get a combination of those things. I'm not so sure that you're actually allowed to pick which which type, and if you can, then it's probably based on your relative seniority on uh, on that airplane and that base. So that's the best guess for me. Maybe Dana might have some more information, and I know that we do have some regional pilots that listen to the show, and they were, would probably be the ones that would know the definitive information about that. Maybe they can help us out.
0: Yeah, we used to have a, a two-hour call, uh, two call, which was pretty standard. Uh, but we also had a four-hour call, which was considerably more relaxed. Um, and we didn't do any airport standby at all. But the two hour call for most people was a bit of a problem because, you know, you can't really leave home if you're, you know, most of us were an hour or so away from the airport. You've really got to have a bag packed and be ready to jump in your car and go. And uh, some people, of course, uh, commuted. So they might be in another country uh, or certainly the other end of this country, in which case they would frequently have to uh, fly down, um, position themselves in a Bed and breakfast or somewhere on a motorway service station and sit in their cars uh, until their call period uh, was over. And they either go home or if they were called out, they would, uh, you know, just complete the end of their journey and go to work. So not ideal if you weren't close to the airport, sadly. Okay.
2: Um, (laughs) When I first started at Acme almost 31 years ago, we we didn't have... um, but i'm not even sure we had uh cordless phones back then i guess we probably did but uh if you wanted to
3: 31 years ago you said yeah
5: mm, or maybe we
2: had those maybe. those phones that you know, like the the big uh portable phones that are in like a big giant pack and had like a vcr Actually, battery
3: I'm trying to think it's 88 you're
0: yeah. you're sort so, of in the beginning of the uh, the yeah. big mobile phones yeah right, right. yeah
3: yeah, I they probably were. Those
0: those
2: bag phones or whatever we called them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh I do remember when the actual real more portable phones started showing up and uh that was when I was a first officer on the on the Tristar in the in the mid to late 90s, I think. Uh, at least that's when it started becoming common to see people with them. Anyway, that's uh the, what the, my point was going to be that uh, when I first started and I, I was on Reserve and short call, we had something. And this is for you youngsters out there, you millennials and stuff. Maybe you've, I, I don't, I'm not even sure if you've heard of this device called a beeper.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm familiar.
2: Yeah, I'm sure you were, or you are. I
3: had one until like three years ago.
2: Okay. And that's, and and I had one of the original ones where it, all it did was beep a I minute. Mean
3: and then you had to go to find a payphone. Then
2: you, and, and so you only gave that. <laughs> yeah, you had to go find a payphone. And then you call and then you only give that number out to certain people. And for me, it was like if somebody's paging my beeper or beeping my pager or whatever you say, I, I knew it was uh I knew that was the airline. And uh so I knew who to call. Uh right. Then it got a little bit more complicated or sophisticated, I guess, where it would actually, you know, I think, wouldn't it? Like show the number that was calling you. So or...
3: the most recent ones that I had, and like I said, I I had a beeper up until pager up until like three years ago. Um, and I think I actually still maybe have the option to have one unless we actually got rid of them for good. Um for a while they were just it would send the phone number um to call back. So it actually would have all that information. And sometimes you could send like embedded like codes with number numeric numbers and things. Yeah. Um but the most recent ones you can send like several lines of text like a, almost like a tweet you know like 180 characters 200 characters or something so you can give a brief bit of information
0: wow fancy yeah just like having a phone not <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: although sometimes you got some some kind of funny pages too because you had to be kind of brief so they would sound kind of Twitter-esque. Mm-hmm. it's like get patient emesis eggs <laughs> zofran given uh, how, do <laughs> like, you, uh, how do you how do you shorten
0: thanks. deceased
3: Oh, that's that would be a phone call for sure. Well, <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, you wouldn't want to beep somebody man. on that.
3: Nah. Well, that'd be that'd be an overhead page. <laughs> Probably not a pager page.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, see where technology has come. Where it really is a different world. Uh, I mean, you're constantly connected if you want to be with anybody in the world.
3: I think I'm going to go back. This has nothing to do with anything aviation related, but I like um, Bill Murray's style. Doesn't he just have an 800 phone number with a connected to an answering machine?
2: nice <laughs>
3: so if you want to get in touch with him you have to call the number leave a voice leave a message <laughs> and, so and then he might get back to you does he not really not.
2: have a like a cell phone or anything like that
3: this is the rumor oh, really? this is what i what i hear
2: he's a uh, otg mm-hmm. off the grid off the grid yeah a lot of people are kind of doing that these days uh, it sounds kind of refreshing it does it? really okay um yeah, oh, and uh, thank you, Ben, for the uh, Wing It Apparel. Uh, checked out their website, wingitapparel.com. That's Wing It Apparel, A-P-P-A-R-E-L, for those of you who do not know how to spell apparel. And uh, the discount code APG10, he says it's good for a week. Now, he sent this on the 28th of October, and that's beyond a week from the time he sent us the feedback. So I'm not sure if that code is going to work but you should sorry ben huh
3: i said sorry ben yeah sorry but there's ben. still cool stuff i'm actually looking at the website yeah it looks right
2: uh now. there's uh, some pretty neat mm-hmm. stuff uh so go buy some stuff from them anyway and then try the apg code and if not uh, maybe they'll extend it for another week or so so anyway um that's all we have from ben and let's move on to this is an interesting one texas charlie item five howdy all Hope everyone's having a blue sky day. Attached are a list of questions one might expect during an airline pilot interview. If you don't mind, pick the question that you think would be most entertaining for us mere mortals or most embarrassing for you and answer it as honestly as discretion allows. Hmm. I'm not sure I want to participate in this. Uh, Adios. I haven't read the questions yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to do that right now. Adios and cold brews and neat bourbons for all. I guess that one's for... For our good friend Captain Danny on the neat bourbons, um, the idle, uh, the 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 idol, the title of this article, fifteen H R questions. Uh, Steph, you should probably ask these questions.
3: I should, and I think I need to uh, pick questions for. Oh no, Jeff and Nick. Okay, we'll try. Oh, really, no. uh, fifteen H oh, yeah, R right.
2: questions to expect during your airline interview
3: hmm So you want me to read this here? Briefly, sure. We'll say, interviewers aren't simply looking to test your aviation knowledge. They want to know or want to see how you'll handle real-life complex scenarios that you'll face as a brand new first officer. The human resources or HR uh, portion of the interview shouldn't feel intimidating, but without preparation, you could be surprised by the depth of questions and struggle to find an answer. Here are a few subject areas you should expect during your HR interview. So scenario-based questions, experience gained from previous work, tell me a time when, blank questions, knowledge about the job role or company you're applying to, personal skills and qualities, how you've learned from past mistakes. There's no way to list everything, but here's a few questions to get you started. Mm. (laughs) So, um, mm, these are some good questions here. Oh, Nick! Come back. <laughs> nice try. How, how did you know I was going to ask you first? Uh, Turn
6: off this video.
2: But we knew he was still there. Uh,
3: actually, uh, this could be could be kind of interesting. This is for Nick. Uh, what do you know about the history of our airline? So, answer honestly, which I think you can now. Uh, oh, no?
0: uh, Acme Airlines. Yes, it was formed in 1918. Uh, just uh, at the end of the Second World War with uh, old Vimy bombers. Uh, And uh, they kitted them out uh, for passengers. Uh, And they used to fly a a regular route uh, across the Atlantic uh, via uh, Iceland and uh, Greenland, a little bit adventurous. Um, They then moved on to uh, DC-2s, which uh, they proliferated around uh, America. Uh, and um, shortly after the DC-2 came the Mad Dog. And, uh, of course, that's been the most modern airplane that the company's ever been able to afford. So since then, since that was probably about 1925, um, we've been flying Mad Dogs. Uh, and uh, because no one else wants them, we had lots of them. It was great. We had more Mad Dogs than we knew what to do with. So we flew them everywhere, all around the United States, with our fully manual controls, uh, very trustworthy. And eventually, of course, we got fly-by-wire, so we replaced the bits of old rope with steel cables. <laughs> the wires were much better than the old ropes, so uh, we have found those uh, really, really very good indeed. So uh, we've polished up the inside of the airplane, so it looks pretty good now. But quite honestly, uh, when you look at the outside, it's about as ratty as it was when we first got them. Uh, but they, they they fly most of the time, so we're very pleased with them. Uh, it's a great company to work for, that's for sure. Wow.
2: Was that was pretty accurate. A, we, yeah,
3: that was very accurate for Acme. I was thinking maybe we'd get a little, little insight into um, the real Acme Red, but that's okay. That was good. I like that. <laughs> I like uh,
2: 1918 right after World War II. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said... Oh, uh, one sorry uh,
0: <laughs> he, did say, oh, he did say World yeah. war two i think he oh yeah well that's 50 percent <laughs> I didn't want to make it too accurate
3: and i I found the perfect question for oh, no. for our most mm. passive aggressive oh, favorite captain um you actually pretend you're not the captain here though so you're applying okay. for a new job oh, no. so your captain and the lead flight attendant jeff are uh, getting aren't getting along no. and it's becoming difficult to function as a crew what would you do
2: <laughs> um I'd probably um, use Twitter and Facebook uh, to uh, uh, tell everybody what's going on and just have fun with
3: that. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> 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 and ignore the actual situation yeah, happening, uh, just passive-aggressively. Uh, yeah, passive-aggressive. just, I don't, I don't want to
2: be in any kind of a situation where uh, you know you could have a mm. confrontational uh, episode or,
5: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, don't like confrontation.
0: I, I've got one for uh, HR. Okay Okay, so you're accompanying and observing a crew uh, during one of their normal flights when they land at their destination, the crew meet in the bar. The captain comes down wearing a red cocktail dress and in full makeup. He's a man. What do you do?
3: The captain come, you said the captain is a he yes
0: yes so
3: you know, I don't think there's anything to do. I, I think they're, they're perfectly allowed. I good. don't see that question I'd in here, on
2: my question list. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was scrolling
3: as well, which is why I was half listening to what Nick was saying. And, so um, the scenario
2: again, the captain comes down in a red dress. In um, a red, red cocktail in,
0: dress and full made. fully made up.
3: What do you do? Mm-hmm. You, you order them a drink.
0: Yeah, very good. That would be my answer. Are his um, pocketbook his and his matches shoes matches matching? First.
3: Yeah,
0: Yeah. They're, they're good good question handbag we call them <laughs> handbag whatever is absolutely correct. What I, might, is.
3: I might ask for makeup tips because I'm, <laughs> I'm not that good at that myself yeah. mm-hmm. Your makeup looks fabulous please tell me how I can apply
2: I'd uh, I I just uh like slip my room key over and say hey <laughs> <laughs> You look pretty good <laughs> All right, Clearly, time, none of us are hireable materials, so wrong. it's amazing
3: that we all have jobs or had jobs. I love
2: uh, number 12. After a long ground delay, you receive your takeoff clearance. As you line up, the fuel drops a few pounds below minimum takeoff fuel. You let the captain know, and he says, it's just 20 pounds of gas, and continues, what would you do?
3: <laughs> a few drops?
2: <laughs> the, I go, that, that sounds like me. That's just 20 pounds of gas. Come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got plenty this will be fine come on this is this kidding? was
3: actually my favorite my favorite question here uh you ask a flight attendant for a coca-cola with lime a passenger notices and c- is concerned you're drinking a cocktail oh how my. would you handle this situation
2: i'm glad that dana's not here
3: yeah i i yeah, think
2: you know an an a baseball bat knowing dana <laughs> 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 that flight would be canceled i'd
3: share yep. be like, here you yeah. go.
2: not not me but uh i would handle it differently probably mm-hmm. um Yeah,
3: yeah. These are pretty standard HR type questions that can kind of be applied to any uh, to a lot of work environments, just changing the situation or scenario just a little bit. Yeah. Well,
2: very interesting. Nice try, Texas Charlie, for getting us to say something that we'll regret,
3: or maybe we did did. actually. (laughs) We 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 regret. Well, we regret Nick's question to us, (laughs) and we regret uh, Texas Charlie
2: setting in that. All right, uh, I think we still have time before we do our the best part of the show. So let's uh, continue with Ralph, and <laughs> he sent us a link to this article, and he goes, "What's film? Useless article of the month." <laughs> so here's here's the headline: New 3D airport scanners will destroy your camera film. Airports around the United States are getting futuristic new CT scanners and give the TSA an instant 3D view of carry-on luggage contents. But the new scanners are a development film photographers should be aware of. They can reportedly wipe out your unprocessed film with a single scan. So, Nick, you're a photographer. Can you explain to the younger folks uh, what film is?
0: Uh, Yeah, it's a a celluloid uh, covered with silver. Um, I had dyed, I think, uh, crystals... Uh, on an emulsion, a slight sensitive, and uh, you slipped it into your camera, and uh, when you took a picture, uh, it exposed a a section of the film to the uh, image, uh, which was etched there nicely, uh, and uh, you moved the film on to the next frame and took another picture. They frequently came in rolls of 36 around that length uh, and then uh, when you completed it without exposing it to the light you had to rewind it back in the canister take it out carefully uh, send it off to uh, be processed or if you were clever you process it yourself and then you'd end up with a negative which you then had to uh, put through an enlarger onto photosensitive paper and uh, project the image onto that which would then expose it on the paper so at the end of all that and having got yourself thoroughly stinky with lots of nice chemicals you would have a hard copy of the picture you took it generally speaking if you did it commercially it used to take about a week uh to get that process done so uh the chances are uh in quite often it would take two weeks and you'd be forgotten what was on your film it was always a bit of a, a mystery tour when you opened up the package and yeah saw the what it was, it was expensive. expensive. So, it was expensive. Kind of expensive. And so yeah. I was.
3: I just ran off to look because somewhere I found not and like a while ago actually, two um, disposable film cameras. I oh, am. Yeah. Well, they, they they. I definitely have no idea what's on them, and they weren't even like oh. I hadn't even
0: finished the roll on a couple of. You them. You can still get them done. You can still. No, yeah, and I don't I can... know where I. Well, there's plenty of I need places. To take them in, but
3: now I've misplaced them again. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll find them in another decade, and then I'll really be. Well, don't take them,
2: don't uh, put them through these new 3D airport scanners.
5: I uh,
0: was, no. yeah. I, there uh, is quite a resurgence of uh, the use of film. If you go and B&H Photo in uh, New York, you'll see a whole section there just on uh, film photography. Uh, a lot of photographic schools still uh, teach uh, the use of film uh, in the initial c- classes, and there are a lot of very high class. Wedding photographers who specialize in photographing your wedding in traditional film because it's a bit like someone listening to an analog uh, record, you know, an old uh, vinyl record. You do get a different quality uh, Mm -hmm. with a a proper film than you uh, do with digital. Uh, And you can't even, you can't really replicate that and a properly taken. A wet film um, image is really quite delightful. Uh, So if you had just spent many thousands of pounds on photographing uh, a wedding, you wouldn't really want to fly back to your studio and take uh, the risk of having all your film wrecked. So from that point of view, for professional photographers or keen amateurs, it would be interesting to know. I used to carry a lead bag to uh, keep my unexposed and exposed film in when I went through airports, um, but these uh, scanners are so high-powered, they're they designed to penetrate really dense metals like lead to see what's in your bag, to make sure you're not se- secreting something there you shouldn't, so that would not even work. Secreting?
5: That? I, think I
2: think of uh, things like leaking out, or oozing out of your skin uh, or okay. something. <laughs> you're
0: hiding something there you shouldn't, so... Um, yeah, so d- don't you if you've got film, you have to you'd have to declare it and have it have it sort of looked at in your hand. I don't know how they uh, would inspect it. They, yeah. yeah, so it would that be must a be so that
2: must be so stressful for a photographer just to use film. I wonder if they use like digital backup at the same time when they're doing the wedding photographs, just in well, case. I think
0: if you're a professional, uh, it's not really a problem. You know, you're yeah. pretty confident of your settings, and uh, uh, you're usually pretty good at your job. Uh, if someone was learning the thing and, you know, using wet film, you could do go make a lot of mistakes. There's no going back and checking until it's too late. Uh,
2: and Micah and I have the same, I was going to say the same little joke. Uh, I, I use a lead bag when I take my baths to keep my eggs from cooking. <laughs>
5: okay. okay.
2: Um, oh, my. Yeah, and it, they came in rolls of 20 and 36, I think. And the thing about... That is that when you were taking pictures, you really had to think about the fact that you had a limited number on that roll of film, or if you had a disposable camera, like Steph's talking about, it's like it, digital cameras. I mean, you take thousands of <laughs> of, uh, of photographs because, yep. you know, if, they, if they're not any good, you just delete them, you know, but
3: I've got 46,423 photos on my phone. Wow. Pretty much all been taken with my phone.
2: That's a lot of photographs. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: The promise I never delete anything.
2: Yeah. All right. Well. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you for that very useful information, uh, Ralph. I think he agrees with us. It's pretty useless, but I guess it's uh, it applies to some people that are still shooting film. Um. Let's see. I guess we have time for number seven, uh, Texas and Lashock. Writes in, I wasn't expecting to write in again so quickly, but I saw something that I thought I'd share. I was sitting down to breakfast in my hotel in Beaufort, Georgia this morning when I noticed a woman ahead of me reading USA Today, which had something about the 737 Max in it. When she was done, she let me see it, and it turned out to be a full-page item from Boeing itself, dated October 25th. It started off with apologies and condolences for those lost in the crashes, of which we are approaching the anniversary of Lion Air 610. Uh, before going into what they refer to as a progress report on the MAX. They gave a brief rundown on the solutions they have implemented to prevent such situations from happening again. They refer to feedback they have gotten from their partners and given an affirmation of their commitment to innovation and safety. I wasn't able to find an online version, so this might just be a print-only thing. USA Today is not on my usual reading list. So it was purely by chance that I saw this. I don't know if there have been any other such pieces in the paper prior to this, or if there are any other periodicals. As we are wont to do, I find myself wondering what this means for Boeing and the MAX. Is this just something to commemorate the day of a tragic event? Or could this be the first step in a reach-out campaign to regain the public's trust and favor prior to returning the fleet to service? What do you think? Anyway... Always looking forward to the next show. This is the Texas and LaShock signing off. What do you
5: think?
3: I think I think even just putting Boeing aside, when you have a reputation or trust issue that's developed, um, I think it takes a lot of work to kind of restore um, good faith, and that includes putting out very transparent information as to what's being done to remedy whatever the situation was and i do think um uh, certainly boeing has quite a challenge in this this regard um so uh, i think it's probably a little bit of both you'd like to think that even if there wasn't something that they needed to do just to regain trust and favor that they would do something to um commemorate and remember tragic events that have occurred, but I think it's also a little bit or a lot of the latter in terms of trying to rebuild trust and favor because, um, you know, they have a a product that people are going to be using presumably at some point again in the future and they need to let people know pretty transparently and honestly as possible what they've done to um, make sure that those tragic events don't happen again.
0: Yeah, the, the aircraft's going to be coming online in a few months, and uh, it'll be uh, you know uh, moving back in. And Obviously, there's going to be a lot of publicity about its return to service. And uh, if I were sitting in Boeing, it would be something I would be acutely aware of, the need to um, reinforce the trust people have in my company. So, yeah, I, I think this is probably a very fair move by Boeing. They're not admitting anything. They're just t- telling the facts as they are. Uh, and we all know them, but they I think they're trying to um, take steps to regain the public's trust, which I think is very admirable, and uh, is certainly their shareholders will appreciate them doing something proactive, I'm sure.
2: And was it, I don't know about the time, time frame here, but uh, was that right before the congressional hearings when the CEO was being grilled by uh, mm, i think
3: probably right around the same time or yeah. just before yes oh well, well, that might have been
0: right. a co- yes that might have been mm. a reason for it as well yes yeah to kind of just
2: uh kind of get something out there positively you know in a yeah. positive vein before sure. Sure. being grilled and the the news coverage is very negative uh here and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of showboating from uh, a lot of the politicians <laughs> that's a big surprise anyway um oh we have a point of order
3: point of
7: order
2: with my really bad I feel English like there accent.
3: Be a gravel or some. Or gavel. gavel or gavel. gravel. Gavel. We can gavel. take some gravel and throw it on the table. My English is not pretty good tonight either. So
2: but apparently, secrete can be used in the way that <laughs> yes. Steph and I are. What, did I miss something?
3: No, I just. I'm still laughing about secrete because um, it is. You can use it the other so, way, but that's not so at all how I heard it. They're basically
2: two. Yeah. When I heard it.
3: Secret. When, him, and when secret. he said
2: that, I, I thought of the same definition that Steph and I think of when it's like a, of a cell or gland or organ produce uh, and discharge a substance. Uh, something, you know, in response, uh, let's see, insulin is secreted in response to rising levels of glucose in the blood. But there is also an altered alternative definition, which is um, a verb, third person present uh, secretes So it's basically some synonyms um, conceal, hide, cover up, Shroud, disguise, screen, so kind of like secret. You secrete something. Uh, you try to prevent somebody from finding out about it, right? Did I use that?
3: Would right? you change the? Would you change the tenth or the um pronunciation? The pronunciation. Would it be s- so? One is secret? secreted. The other is secreted.
0: I don't know. No, well, n- not the way I I've heard it used. I use it oh, okay. in the same way. You can yes, either way. You see, you've got to work it out for yourself. Hmm. Which one is? Yeah. you referring yeah, to. ooh <laughs> what i'm going to secrete this on my person uh, or i'm going to secrete from my glands yeah yes that's, okay that's nasty awkward
2: yeah very awkward
0: yes and embarrassing
2: <laughs> okay um uh, so i i think it might have something to do with also the um the difference between um american english and uh, british english perhaps mm. You know.
0: Well, it is an old English term, so uh, ah, it should have been around before uh, you guys um, set off on your own. So, <laughs> how rude
5: of
3: this us! Doesn't mean we kept it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> before you started marmalizing our language.
3: That's okay. Liz, Liz backs you up, Nick. We,
0: we love you too, man. <laughs> that was very good, thank you. Yeah. I, I was, I was secure in my use. My knowledge? Yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, well, on that note, I think it's now time for the best part of the show, which is a secretion from the old pilot. <laughs> he calls it <laughs> plain
5: tails.
0: <laughs> here we go, enjoy. The old pilot's plain tails. God help all of us. Earlier this year we heard the sad news that a great air race using electrically powered aircraft was cancelled. Although 30 teams had entered to compete, the organisers were unable to secure safe passage through the countries en route. A sad state of affairs when this second great air race was left with nowhere to go. The second, I hear you ask? I wonder, dear old pilot, what was the first? Well. Sit back, and I'll tell you. The year was 1919, and the world was just settling down following the armistice after the First World War. The Prime Minister of Australia, Billy Hughes, was attending the Paris Peace Conference, and he had experienced flying for the first time. Much enamoured by the event, he imagined what benefits could be derived from regular flights from the mother country to Australia and back, carrying passengers, goods, airmail and such. He cabled his government. Several Australian aviators are desiring of attempting flight London to Australia. They're all first-class men and very keen. Your thoughts? Only four weeks later, an official statement was released. With a view to stimulating aerial activity, the Commonwealth Government has decided to offer £10,000 for the first successful flight to Australia from Great Britain in a machine manned by Australians. The great air race was on. The Australian press created an avalanche of negativity. A circus flight, they called it. Billy Hughes has another terrible idea. A complete waste of money and bad news for all were just a few that appeared on a regular basis. Overall, it was the opinion of most scribes that no aircraft was capable of a flight halfway across the globe in less than 30 days and over a distance of 11,000 miles, that's 18,000 kilometers, when the world record was less than a third of that. Impossible, impossible, impossible. However, within five months, six groups of Australian war veterans had paid their £100 entry fee and signed up to have a go. As for the route to be followed, the press described it thus. The Air Ministry Route No. 1 to India then onwards. The start will be made from Hounslow and the machines will then fly across France down to Pisa, from then to Capua and Taranto, from which later place the machines will make for Valona in Albania and proceed down across Greece and hence to Cairo, then to Damascus and Baghdad and onwards to Karachi, Delhi, Calcutta, Rangoon and Singapore, at which latter place there is a control from Singapore to Batavia, and along the Dutch East Indian Islands to Timor, and then the last stage across to Port Darwin, Australia. The journey was considered one full of dangers, and the pilot who makes it may well, it was written, be proud of his achievement. It was at 11.44 on October 21st that the first took off, flying a Sopwith Wallaby, a large single-engine biplane, designed specifically to compete in the race, was Captain George Matthews, with Sergeant Thomas K as his mechanic. The aircraft was powered by a Rolls-Royce Eagle 8 engine, and closely resembled the earlier Sopwith Atlantic, but they had dispensed with the passenger accommodation and much of its emergency gear. They received a message from the Australian Prime Minister, who wanted to... Wish you and Sergeant K every success in your adventure. Plug on day to day, doing your best, but do nothing foolhardy. The Wallaby was well fitted out with instruments and described thus. Beside the usual engine one, the compasses and the airspeed meter, there is a turn meter which, by recording the difference of air pressure on the two wingtips, tells the pilot if he's keeping on a straight course when he's in a mist. There is a flow meter recording the rate of consumption of petrol, which works out at about 15 gallons an hour, a spirit level for sideways motion, and an inclinometer for measuring the angle fore and aft, as well as an azimuth mirror for checking the compass by readings from the heavenly bodies on a system patented by Captain Matthews himself. The window below the pilot, too, is marked in degrees, so that he can observe the direction of drift. There is a wheel at the side for altering the angle of the empennage in flight. The modern pilot, especially if he is also the navigator, has plenty to attend to. After their departure from Hounslow, they were obliged to descend near Cologne. It was reported that some speculation as to the reasons for landing there has been occupying the minds of many interested in the flight. We are informed that the machine and engine are both quite all right, and that what caused the descent was exceptionally bad weather. Continuous bad weather kept the Wallaby at Cologne until November the 2nd. They next arrived in Belgrade, Yugoslavia, which was in a state of turmoil due to post-war devastation. Local policemen thought Matthews and Kay were Bolsheviks and arrested them, confiscating their passports. The men were held in captivity for four days before being allowed to continue on to Constantinople, a journey delayed by a lack of petrol and then an oil shortage. On landing, they noticed a leak in the water jacket, which they ingeniously filled with Wrigley's chewing gum. Once moistened, the chewing gum became pliable and, when mixed with asbestos and secured by copper wire, it became the perfect filler. Despite harsh weather conditions and more technical malfunctions, their journey proceeded relatively smoothly until they arrived overhead barley only a thousand miles short of their prize. The delays had cost them dearly, but then, trying to land, they crashed into a banana plantation. Matthews came out of this accident unscathed, but Kay sustained a rib injury. As for the wallaby, well, that was completely destroyed. Back in England, at 11.33am on the 13th of November, Captain Roger Douglas, as pilot, and Lieutenant James Ross, as navigator, departed in an Alliance P-2 biplane. Only a few minutes into the flight, their plane, from an altitude of less than a thousand feet, went into a spin and crashed into an apple orchard, and both airmen died instantly. A week later, at 10.37am on November the 21st, with a crew of four, a Blackburn kangaroo left Hounslow. The occupants comprised Lieutenants Valdemar Rendell and David Williams as pilots, Captain Hubert Wilkins as navigator and Lt. Gunsey Potts as mechanic. After 18 comparatively uneventful days of flying, on December the 8th, they crash-landed at Suda Bay in Crete, damaging their engine to such an extent that they were forced to withdraw from the race. A little late to the game, at 9.34am on December the 4th, a single-engined Martinside Type A, piloted by Captain Cedric Howell, with Lieutenant George Fraser as navigator, lifted off from Hounslow. During his World War I service, Howell was credited with having destroyed 32 enemy aircraft and was considered an extremely gifted pilot. Approaching Corfu in Greece due to heavy cloud and mist, he misjudged his bearings and the aircraft sadly crashed into the ocean just short of land. The wreckage and Howell's dead body were eventually recovered, but Fraser was never found. The fifth entrant, an airco DH-9, piloted by Lieutenant Ray Parra and Lieutenant John McIntosh, didn't depart London until January 20th, 1920, and so they were ineligible for the prize, but we'll hear more of them later. The final entrant was Captain Ross Smith and his brother, Lieutenant Keith Smith, with Sergeants Wally Shearers and James Bennett. Ross was the pilot and Keith was the navigator, whilst Wally and James their mechanics. Ross Smith had served with distinction during the war as part of No. 1 Squadron Australian Flying Corps. He had been twice decorated with the military cross and three times with the distinguished flying cross. Their aircraft was the Vickers Vimy, a twin-engine biplane, designed as a heavy bomber at the end of the Great War, but too late to be used in action. It had leapt to fame earlier in the year when Alcock and Brown flew it across the Atlantic, becoming the first across this great ocean by air. Powered by Rolls-Royce Eagle 8 water-cooled V-12 engines, it was the most advanced aircraft of its type, However, it still had an open cockpit, so Ross was going to have to fly halfway around the world whilst exposed to the elements. Prior to take-off, their World War I biplane had been painted on the wings and fuselage with the registered letterings, Golf Echo Alpha Oscar Uniform, which was a recent requirement for all international aircraft. Ross Smith quipped, that what this really stood for was gold. help all of us. When they finally departed on this epic adventure, Keith Smith wrote, climbed over Hounslow for 10 minutes, getting height, meanwhile realising weather conditions were not very nice. Ross picked up his course and we were really started. General conditions became worse, and for the first hour we saw no recognisable landmarks. The story his diary tells is incredible. Over Abbeville they found a line of dark heavy storms which they tried to fly beneath but the snow was too thick and their pitot tube got choked. On the fifth attempt they managed to climb clear of the weather but then had to navigate just by compass and the temperature was freezing their thermometer showing 25 degrees of frost. Heavy cloud, rain squalls, snowstorms, and blinding, unbearable heat were to be their constant companions throughout the duration of their journey. Landing at various airfields, racecourses, and open fields along the route also presented problems, but taking off was often a bigger challenge. On several occasions, the ground was so heavy and the plane so saturated in mud and slush that they were lucky to get airborne at all. Together with his brother and their two mechanics, who were constantly patching up the aircraft, they remained on course throughout their journey despite nine additional unscheduled stops that they had to make. Their accommodation was often rudimentary, which made sleep difficult, and they had to refuel and maintain their machine themselves, often lugging big barrels of petrol up to the high fuel tanks. Flying the aircraft in the open, Ross Smith struggled with the constant changing weather. To reduce weight, they decided not to carry any radio equipment, and so they had no way of anticipating weather ahead, and using only a handheld compass to guide them, they were often flying blind. As detailed flight maps of the route were not available at the time, Ross and Keith Smith used whatever they could find, often basic hydrographical maps, which were more suited to ocean navigation than flight. The crew were fully exposed to the weather, with the result that the maps suffered during the many storms encountered, particularly from Calcutta onwards. As they progressed, Keith kept track of the days. Bangalore, 20th day. Singapore, 22nd day. They had planned to arrive in Darwin on the 29th day, just one day in hand. But in Surabaya, they were bogged down in deep mud and were stuck. In desperation, they persuaded the locals to dismantle their homes and use the woven rattan walls to make a runway, and at last they were off again. On the final and most dangerous leg over the water, 180 miles off the coast of Port Darwin, they sighted HMAS Sydney, a tiny speck in the Timor Sea below them. The ship was positioned to guide them towards Port Darwin, but the men were perfectly on course. Proof of wonderfully accurate navigation on the part of the aviators, according to Captain H. Haley of HMAS Sydney. The brothers, who had no radio on board, decided to drop a message in a bottle to the captain below, to let him know that all was going well. Using string and a hastily made parachute, they dropped the bottle, which landed in the sea near the ship. It read, "The Air, Ten, Twelve, Nineteen, Vickers Vimy, The Commander, HMAS. Very glad to see you. Many thanks for looking after us. Going strong. Keith Smith, Ross Smith, Sergeant J Bennett, Sergeant W H Shears." Their arrival in Darwin was reported in newspapers around the world. Flying high and strong, the Vickers Vimy, manned by Captain Ross Smith and his companions, crossed the coast of Australia at 3.20pm on Wednesday. Less than half an hour later, it had landed on Australian soil at the Fanny Bay Aerodrome. The weather was fine, and the scene presented as the gallant airman came safely to Earth was very picturesque. Practically the whole of the population of Darwin and the surrounding districts were assembled to witness the great event. Captain Smith and his companions were cordially welcomed, but not before the crew had taken time to fill out the required quarantine and customs reports. Hundreds of cable, wireless and telegraphic messages of congratulations on the accomplishment of their great feat awaited them, including the one from the Prime Minister of Australia. We offer our heartiest congratulations to you and your companions on winning the greatest race in the history of the world and on the skill, gallantry and endurance you have all shown We are particularly proud to feel that the first to fly from England to Australia is an Australian. On the 27th of February 1920, Ross Smith received the prize of £10,000 on behalf of himself and his crew. The Vickers Vimy was then flown to Adelaide and is now on display at Adelaide Airport. Ross and Keith Smith were awarded knighthoods by King George V. Mechanics Wally Shears and James Bennett received Air Force promotions. It was only two years later that tragedy struck. Sir Ross Smith and James Bennett died testing a Vickers Viking amphibian aircraft which crashed in Byfleet soon after taking off from Brooklyn's aerodrome. By coincidence, the same aircraft type also killed John Alcock, who I mentioned earlier, the first pilot to fly across the
7: Atlantic.
0: Smith received a state funeral and is buried in Adelaide. But what of the DH-9 that left England too late to compete? Well, the aircraft finally completed the flight, the first by a single-engine machine, in an epic 206 days, earning Lieutenant Ray Parra the sobriquet Battling Ray. Although late and well outside the time limit, the crew were awarded a consolation prize of £1,000. The DH-9 has been restored and can be seen on display at the Australian War Memorial in Canberra. Ah, I love this music.
2: Mm-hmm. Sit there and drink some nice cocktails.
0: If you enjoyed this story, well, we do me a favor, will you, and leave me a review. decent one. My what news.
2: a great story. Now, how long does it take to <laughs> sail from England to Australia?
0: I don't know, four or five days. I would have thought if you didn't, <laughs> uh, if you didn't stop. But uh, well,
2: it's got to be longer than that. I Yeah. I, but it was I, like two hundred, two hundred some
0: odd days. Is it took these folks to do it in the Vickers Vimy? No, no, they did it. the The requirements was to do it within thirty days. Oh, okay. They were given. Uh, that was a thirty day time oh, limit. So I from takeoff to landing. Okay. No, the uh, the 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 bunch that did it in two hundred and six days, they didn't even. They weren't even really competing, because they got uh, airborne after the start date, gotcha. and they, they took well over the 30 required <laughs> days. You could almost so, swim in that amount of time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, the, I think their adventures were long and complicated, but the the boys in the Vimy, uh, they had it all tied down, and they, I mean, I, I didn't have time to go into all the preparations the teams had to make to pre-position mm-hmm. fuel and uh Survey landing sites and all that kind of stuff that had to be done. There was an incredible amount of work uh, that involved in uh, setting up one of these uh, flights, let alone the danger of actually doing the flights themselves. Which I think remarkable in aircraft of that vintage. I I did rather love the um, description of the instruments in uh, uh, one of those aircraft. Yeah, know. I was scratching my head trying to work out what this one with two probes one on each yeah wing differential tip, but... between
2: the left and the right wingtip <laughs> yeah, and oh god wow really
0: how's that work <laughs> yeah, I,
2: don't know. I guess it worked okay
0: uh yeah absolutely
2: i was amazed yeah. that they were able to convince the um the, the people of the village in surabaya or whatever to dismantle their houses so they could <laughs> use it yes for a runway. i
3: know
0: i, I guess the uh,
3: we're gonna need this space here yeah. so... <laughs> yes,
0: we're just gonna <laughs> yes. just pull your your thatched house apart uh, yeah, use it. Uh, yeah, but I guess they were quite persuasive, and uh, they were probably a bit cost that an airplane landed there in the first place, since uh, they they, did, they probably hadn't seen one before or many before. Uh, well, they brilliant. probably thought
2: they were some kind of gods or something, you
0: know. Well, yeah, perhaps, yeah, the old cargo gods. Uh, we uh, yeah. we discussed yeah. that before. Very interesting. But I I love the ideas that they uh, they wanted Australian. Uh, uh, pilots to or uh, Australian well, crews to uh, man these aircraft, which I think was brilliant. And ten thousand pounds back in those days would have been a reasonable sum of money. But I mean, considering the longest flight was not even a third of that distance to set off and try and go exceed that world record by so much, I think was pretty brave.
2: That is amazing. It really mm-hmm. is.
0: Yeah.
2: The things they used to do back back in the day. Yeah, that's right. I can't imagine They're doing brave. it now.
0: Yeah, good job you didn't uh, try it Jeff they'd' have locked you up as a Bolshevik too t- sweet mate. you'd have been <laughs> they probably would have still had you on the locking if they knew it
2: if they knew better yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah. certainly would
0: yeah absolutely now uh, I, I I'm gonna have to make an apology uh 50 percent is our accuracy reckon so my uh, Australian accent is only 50 percent accurate so my apologies to the Antipodeans who are gonna go. That doesn't sound really like an Australian accent, but but I am 50% Australian. I was so, going to ask you that. Yeah, I Exactly. You were. So that's where the 50% comes from. So you're
3: right. I even noticed at the end there, the part that Jeff always cuts off, you know, that's really just for um, the separate standalone podcast <laughs> that was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> seemed to be with a, an attempted at an Australian accent. It was right? slightly.
0: So. Yes. Ever so slightly. Just a little. Uh, so uh, yeah. Get, forgive me. I only got it half right. If, if that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I do love uh, having a go, as they say.
2: Yeah, and thanks, Jeff. Now I'm now I'm gonna not be able to cut any of that out. I'm just gonna have to leave it all in. Oh, yeah, actually, thank you. you it the makes, makes my job easier now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but I think it's meant to be cut out in the actual in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway,
2: love the music as uh, by the way uh, that you you put as a background there
0: yeah it's a bit hard to find something from the 20s but uh well, yeah uh all the 30s uh by the way uh i had numerous requests from uh guys in uh, australia uh to um, tell that story so i can't name everybody but thank you very much indeed for that suggestion i did eventually get round to it
2: you did and we all appreciate it all
0: right moving on
2: let's uh Try to knock out as many as possible here. We have some more audio feedback, this time from Brooklyn Nate. He says, shortest audio feedback ever?
0: That was short.
3: Very, very brief.
0: Yeah. Oh, you know what? Uh, (laughs) I may have
2: made a mistake.
3: Uh Uh-oh. That's unlike you. Not very unlike me.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Steph. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, 50% of the time, you're usually very good. (laughs) Shut up. Yeah, usually. All right, here we go.
5: Hey, guys.
4: Brooklyn Nate here with what might be the shortest audio feedback ever. I think this might be a good one for Nick. Are JFK's runways shorter than some other major airports? Reason I ask is I recently took a trip. 777 300ER taking off from JFK felt like a full power takeoff or very close to it. The return trip, taking off from Hong Kong, same aircraft type. I know different humidity, different stuff, uh, but higher temperature, lower engine power setting, seemingly. So I'm wondering, do you guys know, are JFK's runways uniquely short? Why else would they do a full power takeoff in the 300 ER? Interested to know your opinions. All right, guys, keep the blue side up. I've been listening, lurking in the background uh, and appreciating them. Thanks.
2: Well, we appreciate you, Brooklyn. Nate. Um, not sure if that was a short. It may have been close to the shortest feedback, or audio feedback that we've ever received. Uh, what do you? What say you, Captain Nick? Are you looking up the airport uh, diagram? You're muted.
0: Muted. Muted. Thank you. Yep. <coughs> <laughs> can you hear me, brother? Yeah, we can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Uh Well, um, they're not significantly shorter. The departure runways, uh if you get full length, uh, eleven thousand fourteen and um, a half, a ten thousand feet. Yeah, they're all pretty long. Uh, but of course, they've have had a significant amount of work being done in various parts of JFK, and frequently, you're given a, an intersection departure, which can Uh, shorten the takeoff run uh, a reasonable amount so yeah it is possible that they were using one of the shorter runways or being given a a shorter takeoff distance than they might have liked Uh, and if they were very heavy yes they might have uh, it might the acceleration might have felt but I'm thinking not really there doesn't seem to be a significant uh, difference. Uh, it's very hard perception-wise, and I uh, uh, I'll acknowledge you're probably a very experienced traveler, uh, between um, takeoff acceleration rates. Uh, it often depends on how smoothly the pilots release the brakes and bring the power up. If that uh, acceleration is bought on in, in an, an a nice smooth manner you don't feel like you're accelerating very hard whereas if they let the brakes off in a you know big chunk and power the engines up very hard the aircraft will initially feel there's a big surge of thrust it may give you the impression that they're they're really working hard to get airborne so a lot of it depends on the pilot's handling technique but um i wouldn't have thought so jeff what do you reckon
2: yeah, I agree with you. I uh there is a lot of construction going on uh at least right now at uh at Kennedy. Uh, but when that isn't in effect, uh, most of the runways, even the shorter ones are quite long. So, I agree with uh, everything you said.
6: Okay.
3: I concur.
2: We have consensus. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to throw some gravel down. Mm-hmm.
3: And gravel. Yeah.
2: There we go. You hear it? Uh, Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, We are uh, very happy to report that uh, Dana has made it safely, successfully, as far as we know, to Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, in the chat room chatting with the folks there.
5: By the way, hi, Dana. Yeah. Hey,
2: Dana. Glad you made it. Um, So, that's a good reminder to everybody that is listening to the audio only podcast, which is most of you. Uh, every now and then, it's kind of fun to uh, catch a live recording of the show and uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Slack and all that kind of stuff. Well, I don't know if we actually put out notices on Slack, but anyway, uh, and, and join us sometime for a live recording of the show. I think you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, people in the chat room, for the most part, I mean, there are some in there that are, eh, but uh, most of them are pretty cool people.
3: You know who you,
0: you are. Has Richard Bell gone yet? <laughs> He's still there. He came back. He came back. He came okay. back. I'm just Don't kidding. talk They're about it. Every, everybody's great in there. I just have fun poking fun at people because people have
2: fun poking fun at me, and I enjoy it. Yeah. All right. I always I always uh, enjoy getting poked. All right, uh, <laughs> Dave. Don't know what that way means. Uh, says, oh, this is this is pretty cool. Uh, since Hi, everybody. Since hearing myself on the podcast, I've decided to email my feedback this time. <laughs> Aww, I can't Dave. believe I sound and talk like that. I know, we couldn't either, actually. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think we all experience that. <laughs> you hear your own voice and you go, Oh, that's not my voice. That's not the way I, I hear don't, my I don't, voice. I definitely don't sound like that. But after a while, I mean, isn't it true, stuff? After a while, you kind of go, okay, I'm used to this. This is the way I sound.
3: Yeah, that is actually how I sound. Yeah. So, it's fine. So You start to ignore that cringe. Yeah. You know, I don't I
2: don't remember Dave anything uh, unusual about the way you sounded actually but yeah. oh well um, anyway I've been reading with interest about the new autoland system from Garmin that is set to revolutionize general aviation and he said uh, what are your thoughts on this overkill more erosion away of hands-on flying or a big leap forward in safety How often do you think a system like this would be called upon? I can think of times when instructors became incapacitated, I guess, but do you think the ability to activate it remotely is next? Oh, yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure that it will be. Um, I seem to recall Captain Nick having strong thoughts on these types of systems. Oh, he has strong thoughts on pretty much everything, actually. Uh, and they're all great, great strong thoughts. <laughs> um, keep up the great work from a very satisfied executive producer. Yes. Thank you, Dave, for being a, an executive producer with a uh, Patreon uh, for the airline pilot guy show. Um, and then he linked to the article and I, I actually, I don't know. I, I didn't read this article, but I did see, and I think there are a bunch of videos out there recently, um, uh, on this, uh, Garmin Autoland system, emergency Autoland system. I think they call it, um, have you had a chance to see it, Steph?
3: In or just the video? The video, you mean? yeah. No, I have actually not seen the video, and I
2: think Cirrus has like a version of it. And I think that their avionics are from Garmin as well, so it makes sense that they would have a system like this where you, basically, you if if your pilot flying the airplane becomes incapacitated, uh, passengers that don't have any clue about how to fly an airplane can activate the system and it's it's pretty impressive it will it knows where it is it knows what altitude it is it looks for suitable airports to fly to it it makes radio calls um distress calls to air traffic control on on guard and maybe the current frequency you're on i'm not sure about that part
3: and interestingly it also gives um Uh, it gives some instruction and some feedback to the passengers that are in the aircraft that don't know what's going on, but in very kind of simplified format just so that they're not, you know, any more worried concerned than you might imagine they already might be. And it sounds like they really put a lot of thought and effort into that part of it. I was
2: very impressed. I mean, I, I, whoever did this video that I watched, uh, it may have been AOPA. I'm not sure. I, I, I apologize for not remembering what, what, uh, video it was. Uh, but, the guy was in there, and they just like hands off. They push the button, and they uh, watch the airplane fly. And it says, as Steph said, gives really good uh, simple information to the passengers. Of, this is what's happening. This is you know don't don't touch anything here. This is gonna land itself. This is gonna
3: move. This is gonna do. You know, like right.
2: Gonna... And it actually lands, and it, and, and it puts the brakes on, and mm-hmm. I think it actually shuts the. Engine. Yeah, it comes
3: to a complete stop and shuts the engine down. So that's the and
2: warns you not to leave the airplane until the engine, uh, the propeller, has stopped turning. Correct. Because that can be kind of painful, apparently. Yeah. Walking into Not one of those.
3: Not recommended.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I love the idea that it uh, can look ahead to weathers. Uh, it can assess yeah. uh, the crosswind at potential airfields, uh, the weather in between where the uh, this has occurred and the destination, uh, and decide which is the best airfield to divert to. Uh, It'll do orbits on the approach to lose altitude if it's too high uh, for the profile. Um, It uh, can, I mean, if it hasn't got an auto throttle, um, then I'm allowed to say that because I guess some of these are piston airplanes. Then uh, they're thinking it will be able to turn off and on the engine to control its speed, which doesn't sound mm-hmm. very, you know, brilliant, but well, uh, it's the best you can so do. So for the two
3: aircraft that it's going to be available on or uh, certification pending, those do have auto
0: throttle. Yeah. Well, obviously, you that's the to, the yeah. best idea. I mean, auto brakes, mm-hmm. auto throttles, so that it effectively uh, it can do a full auto land. Uh, obviously, it's it doesn't have a, the fallback systems that the auto land that Jeff and I used to have because, of uh, course, carrying passengers in large numbers – uh, our auto land has to be so incredibly safe that uh, it has to be able to operate with multiple redundancy. Um, but, uh, of course, if this is an emergency system, then if it gets you on the ground in any form or manner, so long as you're still alive, it's done bloody well. So, uh, mm-hmm. And I think by the looks of it, it should do a really good job. Uh, my My only concern about the whole concept is that people will start using it uh, for, yeah, oh, it's a bit of a grobbly day. I'm not very confident about my flighting skills. I'll just press this button and let the airplane do it itself, which is obviously not what it's designed for.
2: So I was thinking of the same thing, but then I'm wondering if you can like, disconnect certain features because if you actually activate this emergency Autoland system, it starts sending out basically mayday calls, mm-hmm. emergency declarations, and everything else, you know,
3: uh, and let alone how do you reset it once you've done that to get the aircraft to work again, you know, if it's going to shut itself down on the… Right.
0: I so know, I suspect, suspect one, there's basically. a reset button. But that that, that also is… I, I'm going to be devil's advocate here and go against my own argument. Uh, if it does declare all these emergencies, is, is that going to make people more reluctant to use it when they're in trouble so they don't oh, know no, i'll struggle on because if i press this button the whole world's going to know i'm in an emergency so you know uh, well, perhaps
2: the only people that will end up actually using it are people that aren't pilots and aren't going to worry about that
0: <laughs> yes i mean, think that, that would be yeah. brilliant
3: i mean i can imagine yeah. a few situations where if you're not if you are the pilot and you're not you know completely at that i'm completely incapacitated uh, point but you recognize that it's no longer safe for you to be Flying and handling the aircraft, uh, you know, it would be a good idea to do. But I think this really is, uh, as Jeff said, geared more towards the passengers in the aircraft. If there's know, a serious emergency, but I but... do
0: love this bit where it kicks in if uh, they, if the pilot has effectively stopped touching the controls or switches, mm-hmm. uh, and and comes up with a display saying, "Are you alert?" And if you don't uh, activate something, press a button. Then it will automatically take control of the aircraft and just start doing its thing. So if you have fainted, you're on your own, or you've become hypoxic or whatever, then it will take control of the aircraft and put it on the ground for you. I just I think the sophistication of it is what has me really impressed. I mean, it seems yeah. they seem to have looked at every avenue of safety, and uh, they've they've come up with what seems to me would be a great package.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for noticing.
3: Yep, I agree.
2: Um, Gail in our chat room says, it's like the keep lane assist in my new car. I'm now very aware of how bad of a driver I really am, <laughs> given how often it <laughs> fires.
3: <laughs> I find those to be a little overly sensitive, yeah, don't you think, Gail? Mm-hmm.
2: And it kind of sometimes reveals to me the inadequacies of these systems where mm-hmm. it sees something that obviously is not a lane that's like that that's veering to the right or the left or whatever. And all of a sudden it starts giving you the warning that you're, you know, you're leaving the lane and you go, no, I'm not. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. what throws it off sometimes, but anyway, it's, uh, it's being perfected, I guess. But, uh, Dana is telling us that he, uh, he's the contrarian there. He says, uh, he thinks it's all crap. <laughs> I've just kind of paraphrased. You summed up. Yeah, yeah, summed paraphrase. up how he, how he feels about it. Anyway, um, I, I have to say, you know, you know how I feel about these things. And I was very impressed with this um, video that I watched. And I thought, hmm, maybe they are far farther along in this technology than I thought.
5: Mm.
3: They are. But at the same point, it, you know, as just to recap a little bit what Nick was saying, this is not intended for it doesn't have all the redundancies. It's not intended to be used in normal situations. This is a you have to get on the ground safely emergency situation. Um, and it does the job, even though it, it not taking away from the technological advancements that get you there to that point. Right. I don't. I don't see this as taking away from um, people maintaining their hand flying skills and their currency. Right. At all.
2: Yeah, I don't see unless they change the way this thing is activated and operates. I don't see pilots just routinely just. I'm just going to hit that button <laughs> and let the airplane land itself. But uh,
0: I could be wrong. No, just you're going to have to fill out a bit of paperwork if you use it, I think. Right. Having declared, mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. had the system declare emergencies on your behalf. Yes.
7: True, true, true.
3: Stay tuned for the next episode where Dana clarifies his, his statement. <laughs> no, we're not going to let... that is not what he was saying, Jeff. We're not going <laughs> to let him
2: clarify anything. Uh, that was a very accurate <laughs> description of the way he feels. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, we'll let you, we'll let you explain yourself, sir. Um... Item 10, Greg. Um, <laughs> uh, the title of his feedback is Big Ass Beer. <laughs> and Woo-hoo! yeah, well, I like that. Um, oh, I have to make, uh, I have to make this bigger.
1: That's what she said.
2: Um, <laughs> so he, uh, I must have done a screen capture or something here. Hold my beer. We love beer at the very large donkey fan company. Don't believe it. <laughs> try cutting, try cutting the line to the fridge when we hit our daily goal at Global HQ. And Nick and I, uh, they, uh, Greg told us about that when they when they make their daily goal at the very large donkey fan company, uh, they ring bells and they all go and drink
0: beer. That's <laughs> pretty cool. I think they do. Yes, they have an afternoon off and they consume yeah. large quantities of yes. alcoholic beverages. Yes, staggering. So, over speaking the
3: place. of the. The big <laughs> donkey. donkey fan company. <laughs> Very large donkey. Uh, I saw one in in the wild this weekend. Did you? Where? They are at the McCarran Airport. Oh. Um, when you wow. get on the tram to go to whatever terminal or D gates or whatever, um, they're in there kind of circulating the air. And I actually was just kind of, I don't know what I was doing. I did not have my eyes gazing upwards inside that building. But um, my neighbor I was traveling with goes, wow, those fans really do a great job of circulating the air. And I looked up. Uh, oh.
7: They
2: really do. Yeah,
3: I know all about Big Donkey.
2: Oh, you should have been there, Steph. You would have enjoyed that tour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Let's see. So, as such ardent admirers of one of the world's oldest beverages, we felt that it was high time that the Very Large Donkey fan company had one to call our own. While we love and support our local brewers in Lexington, Kentucky, a golden opportunity presented itself a few hours down the road in Asheville, North Carolina, which is Home Mm -hmm. to a lot of amazing beers. On October 17th at Wicked Weed Brewing Pub, our cup finally runneth over. Naturally, the release of Donkey Kick Brute IPA was a big hit. From our custom tap handle below and our premium haiku above, both beer and air flowed in abundance. Beyond just loving beer, the very large donkey fans partnership with wicked weed on this limited edition brew as part of a larger strategy to grow our relationship with anheuser-busch and its affiliates so we can provide comfort and facilities at every level of the beverage industry um so i i um, wrote back to greg and i said how can i get my hands on some or actually my mouth on some of this great beer and he said that it was a, re- a limited release and i think he thinks it was only in the Asheville area.
3: Only at the, uh, probably just in Asheville yeah. at the, uh, and sadly I was not in Asheville during that time because oh. I've been to Wicked Weed many times and their beer is excellent. And they do a lot of this type of stuff where they have, um, their beers are just constantly changing. So they have some, uh, set stuff, but then a whole bunch that just rotate and they're different and they're always trying new things. So yeah very cool.
2: And it's a very clever company. Uh, Nick and I were just chuckling all the time on the signs they have in the parking lot and all over the company. They, oh, they yeah. really go with that theme <laughs> it's very funny <laughs> most of which we can't really say on the show because it's a um where is it
7: <laughs> uh family show ladies and gentlemen family show thank you matt
2: okay radio roger you ever hear of that guy because it does, a, well, does yeah, the intros for our show yeah and once <laughs> Uh, greetings captain jeff and the rest of the apg crew i've always been interested in gyrocopters and have read a lot about them so my ears per- uh, perked up not peaked up perked up uh, when you discuss these unique aircraft in episode 395 i'm happy to tell you that everything said was correct wait a mm-hmm. minute that's the first job. time i think <laughs> um thank you Uh, However, knowing the subject may not come up again, I didn't want the opportunity to pass without sharing my knowledge about these fascinating flying machines. Tailwinds and Blue Skies Radio, Roger. So here we go.
1: It looks like a helicopter, but the gyrocopter is a completely different beast. Its upper rotor spins freely, driven by the wind, as a pusher propeller sends the gyrocopter forward. And yes, Captain Jeff, in spite of your doubts, it does fly. Captain Nick said gyrocopters take off like airplanes, but fly more like helicopters, meaning that they travel at slow speeds. That's true, but the gyrocopter's controls are nothing like a helicopter's. In fact, the controls function like those of an airplane, with rudder pedals that change the yaw, and a stick which changes pitch and roll. But you sometimes use those controls differently. For example, you avoid a stall by pitching the nose up, not down. That's to increase the airflow blowing up into the overhead rotor, producing more lift. Pitching down can have the opposite effect, resulting in negative lift. And pitching too far down, well, that can result in an unrecoverable forward somersault. Fortunately, that danger has been greatly reduced with modern gyrocopters. They have a horizontal stabilizer, and the pusher propeller is mounted closer to the ground. Also, gyrocopters are much safer than helicopters, which will drop like a stone when the engine fails. A pilot would have only seconds to unclutch the overhead rotor and adjust the blade levels so that the air rushing up will spin the rotor and provide lift. This is called auto-rotating. By comparison, gyrocopters are always auto-rotating and will gently descend to the ground when power is lost and gyrocopters are far more resistant to wind turbulence than airplanes. The airspeed that produces lift is the rotational speed of the upper rotor, which is so fast at the outer circumference that wind currents are relatively insignificant. Unfortunately, gyrocopters are less fuel-efficient than planes. There's a lot more drag, so they never became popular for transportation. But with the ability to operate slowly at low altitude, gyrocopters are wonderful aircraft for pilots who just want to enjoy the act of flying hope that explains things this is radio roger over and out
2: well thank you radio roger always great to hear your voice your professional radio voice on our show and uh anything to
0: add captain nick no i think uh radio roger covered it beautifully uh because uh, we had quite a famous uh, gyrocopter pilot and uh, designer here. Uh, the, he actually flew in one of the Bond movies, and he was a bit of an eccentric old Air Force Wing Commander. I can't remember his damn name now, which is <laughs> bad of me. But um, so I, I learned about gyrocopters uh, through watching, uh, you know, him on television. And also, when I was uh, doing my gliding, uh, we had uh, one come and visit us for a few days, and uh, we watched it fly, so that's how I learned about it. But I think they're fascinating bits of kit. Excellent. Steph, have you ever
2: flown in a gyrocopter? I have not. They've always been fascinating to me.
3: Like mm-hmm. to
2: maybe take a ride in one of those one day.
3: Yeah. Sure. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe. I guess I don't know. Sounds all right. No, if you, I don't know, if you find an opportunity, let me know. Okay, come along.
2: Um, Mm -hmm. Thank you, Roger, for that, and that, that that bit about to prevent stalling, you pull up instead of push down. That's that would be a tough one, I think. That's kind of ingrained in me to do the opposite of that anywho uh let's see item 12 landon pilot landon from left coast it was great seeing everyone in oshkosh this year it was an absolutely amazing time in my life that is only second to the day my baby boy amaru was born wow um it was a lifelong dream to participate in the greatest show on earth and to spend it with my APG family He means Oshkosh. Yeah, I know. At first I thought he meant our show, but then I realized he meant Oshkosh. (laughs) felt like I should clarify Yeah, I I, I got it finally after I read the rest of the (laughs) sentence. I've been meaning to send this feedback for a while, but I had just way too much to share. I figured just saying thank you to all that I got to meet from APG events and um, all of the wonderful friends that I made in Oshkosh from all over the world. I want to give a very special thanks to Glenn Teller for teaching me how to Oshkosh. I'm absolutely grateful for this, Glenn, because with your help, I truly would have uh, been lost uh, and missed a lot of or a ton of great airplanes and events. I missed the evening that we all spent at Mike's Musketeer and the good looking Jeff. And I uh, he's not talking about me, is he? No. And I uh, was astounded that we saw a MiG 17 in full afterburner. We had no clue. I always enjoyed good looking Jeff's stories of his F-15 days. The F-15 is my fave although that F-22 was ridiculous. Good times. Steph, it was great to finally meet you in person. And Dana, thank you so much for the Acme wallet. Your generosity was great, and it meant a lot to me. Nick, my friend, as always, it's great to see and hang out with you. It sucks that you are retired now and not flying into San Francisco anymore. We miss you out here. So, oh, he must have forgotten the paragraph about me. So now that I've uh, gotten all my thanks out of the way, I have a plain tale suggestion. <laughs> I was one I was pondering one day if there were a British equivalent to the Tuskegee Airmen. Lo and behold, I came across a YouTube story of the Pilot of Caribbean. Apparently there were pilots from or the pilots of Caribbean the caribbean i don't know apparently there were pilots from jamaica and several other british colonies in the caribbean that became raf pilots i began to research a little more and discovered that i rather hear the stories from captain nick so nick i was wondering if you could help share these pilot stories as they seem to be to not be well known in the world uh the the u.s for that for that sake or for that for that much
0: yeah, I should get Johnny Depp to read that one, The Pilots of the Caribbean, <laughs> that I? would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Johnny. How's
3: your How's your pirate accent? Arr,
0: are you very
1: good?
2: <laughs> he just does an American accent. <laughs> that's, great. That's, that's that's your American accent.
0: Um, oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's an American pirate. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks again, guys, for the great show and the great memories. I hope to see you guys soon in California, and uh, set up a meetup. Hello to all my Left Coast apg You all know who you are. Yeah, we all know who you are. Blue Skies, Tailwinds, and Cavoo Days. Thanks, Landon Harvey. Good to hear from you, Landon. Nice. Great seeing you in Oshkosh. You probably don't remember that, but um, I, I enjoyed uh, seeing you there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I remember meeting Landon finally, so it was wonderful to meet you. And great that you had such a wonderful time there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. And it's a Sorry, great Jeff. success uh, suggestion, uh, Landon. Thanks very much indeed. I like the title for sure, The Pilots of the Caribbean. Uh, and uh, I'll take a look at it. And In fact, I did follow the links you sent on your uh, PM. So uh, it definitely has potential. Uh, may not get around to it for a little while, but uh, it's going to be a good one, I'm sure. So what I got from that, Landon, is the next
2: pine tail will be on that subject.
0: Sadly not. Now, the next plane <laughs> is already in the pipe, and oh. it's uh, about uh, two VCs of the Second World War. Ah. Mm. Oh, by the that. way, um, uh, the wing commander who flew the gyrocopter was Ken Wallace, and his apparently his gyrocopter was called Little Nelly. Well, I don't Little remember that Nelly.
3: bit. I mean, if you're going to name your, uh, yeah.
0: Your <laughs> gyrocopter, uh, I suppose. Well, okay, good to John, John uh, uh, McElroy. Uh, yeah, that's what he thinks. So. Uh, but certainly Ken Wallace rings a bell. That sounds like the man. Uh, but I'm sure he had more than one gyrocopter. I mean,
2: doesn't everybody?
0: Well, if you're Ken Wallace, mm-hmm. you do.
2: Yeah. Is he, is he the one that was uh, like a consultant for the James Bond film?
0: Well, I have a feeling he actually flew uh, oh. the, the James Bond fire. He designed, built, and flew it, I think. I'm not going to have to Google it now and see it.
6: Okay.
2: So while you do that, I'm trying to find um, an email. I, that last one we have there, I'm going to save that for the next show uh, because I think that Dana might have some some uh, feedback regarding that as well. Uh, but I do want to make sure that I – read this one, um, because I really chuckled uh, when I read this uh, earlier today. Uh, This came in from, uh, let me make sure that it's okay if I mention his name. He didn't say not to. Okay. Ragu Apudurai. And that's the way that you pronounce his name, even though he might say, no, that's wrong, Jeff. That's not the way I pronounce my name, but he's wrong. That's the way you pronounce it. Good day APG crew no offense meant by what follows and having listened to numerous episodes of APG podcasts, i apprehend that no offense will be taken i started listening to APG podcasts earlier this year and have been sampling the latest and legacy episodes on a basis, basis which corresponds to severe chronic APGitis that said it took me a while to get properly infected i initially struggled with why 3 patently nice americans would tolerate a pompous, arrogant, pommy, Airbus, git. Is that right? Is that the way you you, you pronounce that? Git? No, jit. Jit, okay. Dang it. 50%. Wrong again. Um, Don't, Don't listen to Nick. I persevered, and several episodes later I came to understand why. The Americans weren't just nice or simple. They were acute observers of the human condition. They had worked out that Captain Nick was a rare, pommy, Jit indeed. One <laughs> one who's funny. It's
3: definitely git.
2: Yeah. Is it git or jit? Oh, well, why did you tell me it was the other?
3: <laughs> why uh, would you, I
2: want you to call me a You git? made me, you, you played me again. <laughs> Darn it. Oh, well. Okay. I should have gone with, you know, my initial feeling you about how have. it was pronounced your
0: confidence yeah. in your own pronunciation
2: okay here we go i persevered no persevered. Oh, no
0: no you're not redoing it it's gonna I'm go, not gonna go like from that. the beginning
2: i'm just gonna start <laughs> from the, the paragraph i just read
0: from the jit. yeah well no okay. no shut up
2: i persevered <laughs> and several episodes later i came to understand why the americans weren't just nice or simple they were acute observers of the human condition they had worked out that captain nick was a rare pommy Get indeed one who's funny, knowledgeable, and useful—a unique palm. <laughs> to be to be fair, Captain Nick's stint with the RAAF must have improved his grip on humanity, and assisted him in acquiring the basics of Airbus systems management. I was I was sold once I realized that you were all on board with both the Monty Python and Mel Brooks idiom.
4: It's true. It's true.
7: <laughs>
2: All of this is a long way of saying that I'm glad I persevered. I have not yet listened to an APG podcast from which I have not learned something, anything. Disclosure. I found out about APG via an interview with Captain Nick on the Inspired Pod, the Inspired Pilot podcast. At the end of the interview, Nick disclosed his enthusiasm for IPAs. Imagine my existential disarray. When upon listening to my first APG episode, I discovered amongst your number was a girl who was a doctor, pilot, and an IPA enthusiast. APG-itis does not discriminate.
3: That's true.
2: A little background. I'm a barrister, uh, equals a trial lawyer in U.S. speak, but have wanted to be a pilot ever since my first flight from KL, and I'm thinking that must be Kuala Lumpur, to Colombo Mm -hmm. on a... BOAC de Havilland Comet 4 in 1963. I belatedly commenced flight training in 2013 at 57 years old, and after a substantial break, achieved the recreational pilot certificate in 2018. I am presently working on the cross country endorsement. Upon achieving that endorsement, I intend to transition to a GA license and potentially a CPL. I'm 63 years old, and if I'm lucky, will have another 25 years on this planet. Accordingly, my attitude is to approach those 25 years as a new lifetime opportunity. Thank-
3: he said if he's unlucky.
2: Oh, unlucky. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. I'm 63 years old, and if I'm unlucky, we'll have another 25 years on this planet. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you. F-
3: I think you read it correctly the first time. Yeah. Jeff.
2: Well, that's yeah. the way it was in my head. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, thank you for the excellent resource and community that is APG. The genuine love of aviation, which oozes, or I'd say secretes, secretes. out of each of you in every episode, reinforces my uh, obsession with flight, albeit tempered by the practical advice, which is a constant theme of the APG podcasts. Thanks again. Here's to many, many more APG episodes well past 400. Enjoy. Wow. that I, I just loved that that feedback. And when I read that this morning, I thought, oh, I've got to read that one today. So thank yeah. you very much.
0: Yeah. Very good indeed. Yeah, I love the
2: Most way. Much appreciate it. He expressed himself there very, very well. Funny. Being a barrister, very he very written.
0: well should be able to yeah. express himself. <laughs> You'd think. I wonder if he right? was try. I wonder if he was, you know, one of those criminal barristers that used to get people put away for and hung and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. Well, we need to find out. Or hanged. Hanged. Um, hung, well hung.
2: Well, that that could be as well. <laughs> that's, By the way, that's different, um, yes, sir.
0: Yes, uh, he did this. This lovely old wing commander did indeed do all the flying in the James Bond movie in his oh. gyrocopter, mm. which wow. uh, apparently was called Little Nellie or whatever. Um,
2: yes, so that's good. so the, because I think we were talking about that guy that did the. What did he go like around the world or something? The northern hemisphere, yeah, that's gyrocopter. right. Yes, and they did. they had a in the article they had a picture of. Um, the James Bond gyrocopter, and then they had somebody and it was probably that guy you're talking about that wing commander. I just don't remember his name from that article, but that's probably the guy.
0: That is the guy. He had a, a neat little moustache and not dissimilar to yours and a and a little uh, goatee beard.
2: Yeah, watch watch what you're saying there with the little <laughs> adjective. Okay. That brings us to the end of the show. I, I achieved my goal. I made Nick snort. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, well done. Yeah, the, I think it had more to do with the, all the beer I've drank. Uh, uh, well, maybe a little bit to do with me? Yeah, uh, possibly. Oh. Yeah, oh, no, come no, on. You, throw, you, you, throw me a you, bone, man. Throw me a bone. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely it. the catalyst.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, because it's my pod, my podcast, or our podcast, I should say. Anyway. Uh, uh, definitely that, yours. I, I don't want to take any responsibility. Yeah, we, we know first. who the boss yeah. is here. <laughs> I, I noticed how you guys like take a few steps back.
0: No, no, no. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah we just kind of contribute. It's not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't blame us for this. <laughs> exactly.
3: We are here at Jeff's invitation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well,
2: I think it. I think you need to take ownership. <laughs> anyway, um, that is it for the show. We're past the three hour mark, and time flew by once again. Thank you, everybody, for just being listening to the show uh being here when we do these live broadcasts uh, participants in the in the chat room and we especially thank our financial supporters um you know without that support i mean it really gives us motivation to keep going and going and going and as we mentioned this is episode 399 next episode 400 we're not going to do anything special for it but um it is a milestone i would have to accept and uh, acknowledge and uh Again, if it hadn't been for this wonderful APG community, I would have stopped doing this a long time ago. So, thank you, everyone, for listening to the show, watching the videos, and all that stuff. And uh, if you want to learn more about it, if you're new to the show and you're wondering who these knuckleheads are, uh, you can learn about us by heading over to the Airline Pilot Guy website. And uh, you can learn about the community, which is the very best part of everything. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, we have merchandise there. We have a special standalone pil- uh, plane tales um, page for a lot of extra information regarding these wonderful plane tales that Nick does every week for us, and pictures and, and more in depth information. So check that out. You can also um, subscribe as a standalone podcast, the plane tales. So all that information is there on the website and more and we're also on the social medias social medias
3: social medias that's even more formal you can head over to twitter.com and find our handle at APG crew and definitely a good place to interact with us if you are uh, into brevity so 280 characters or less if you're a little more long winded head over to facebook.com airline pilot guy and share away to your heart's content Hope to see you on the social media.
2: Yes. And we're also on Slack. And Hillel. Hillel. Time. I'm going to let him come over here and make some room beside me. He's going to tell
4: us about Slack. Tell, Tell him about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at Slack at AirlinePilotGuy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an
7: invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
2: Thanks, Hillel. Now, get out of here. Go back to the bathroom.
4: I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain.
2: (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us today for our show. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless.
0: Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy.
5: Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy.
7: Good day.
1: To be such a good good pilot,
3: till I started APG. I opened doors for little old ladies. I help them to their seats. Airline
0: pilot guy,
5: I fly.
3: Because I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine
5: Airline,
0: not a guy I fly a oh, airline